This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the Kedwalski Insurrection. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that's trying to put the humanities back into science fiction. I am Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we are doing our interlude in between seasons movie episode and we have a special guest who you may or may not know but you should and you should go check out his stuff. Uh, We are joined this week by Ket Wolski. Hello, hi, thank you uh, for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited to sit down with you guys and have some some in-depth discussions today. I, I am actually very pumped about it. I don't do too many podcasts, and uh, when I do decide to do them, I usually only select uh, people that I, I think that I'll actually like having a very long conversation with. So that's why I'm here, and I'm excited to get into it. Well, hopefully that's us. You don't always podcast, but when you do... You want to make sure it's awesome. That's right, exactly. It's got to be worth the time, you know, because it is a lot of work. You guys do a lot of work for it, and it's a lot of stuff to kind of prepare for and kind of have a good good discussion with. You know, you don't want to sign up for a two- or three-hour discussion, you know, or whatever it's going to be uh, with some people that you're like, ah, I kind of don't like this guy, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a jerk. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited uh, for our discussion today, and we picked a great topic as well, so I'm super pumped to get into it. In fact, I'd say that this is kind of a topic that's kind of in between where well, – both of us kind of focus on right now because you're working on a lot of uh, you know, current Trek, you know, you know, lower decks and discovery and things like that right now. Mm-hmm. While we've been covering a lot of older Trek, you know, uh, the original series and things like that. This is kind of right between. It is, you know, it is, you know, I, I, I definitely, um, I, I used to cover a lot of the older stuff when I first started the channel, but it just kind of morphed into a more current events type thing. It's just kind of the nature of the game a little bit, but yeah, this is definitely kind of a middle-of-the-road thing there where it's like, I, I like to talk about these things, but that's not really what people go to my channel for. So, again, this is a great opportunity for me to kind of gush a little bit and then also kind of critique um, some of the more traditional Star Trek stuff that I watch in my own time and have nobody to talk to about in my personal <laughs> life. So, this is this is it. This is my therapy. So, you guys, um hope you guys aren't charging me by the hour. So, because I nope. can't pay. In fact, uh, <laughs> you should be charging us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the bill's in the mail, so just uh, look out for it. So for anybody (laughs) who has been following what we've been doing and might be a little bit confused, we've been going through original series in order. We just got to the end, and now we are skipping several years ahead because we are covering Star Trek The Next Generation's Insurrection, which is the third movie mm-hmm. in the orig- in the not original series in the next generation movie lineup, uh, we decided to allow to skip to another Star Trek movie, and those and sometimes we try to avoid those because I did the math, and at our current pace, it would take us almost five years of straight podcasting to get to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of franchise in between TOS ending yes. uh, and and this movie. So yeah, you're I think you're making the right call, really. So. <laughs> so Star Trek Insurrection was, as I said, the third movie in the Star Trek Next Generation movie catalog. It was one that they explicitly stated they wanted to use to break the even-odd Trek movie curse, which is that every odd-numbered Trek movie is terrible. Right. <laughs> which all they did in this case was enforce it and actually give it new life, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, Whoops. I think this one like reinvigorated that curse and just validated that it does exist. Well, they, they jinxed the next one, too. So I think they it just reset did. something. Yeah. Well, Nemesis was, uh, that came out after Galaxy Quest, right? 
Yeah, I guess if you're counting Galaxy Quest <laughs> as the next as the next even numbered Star Trek, are we Trek including movie. parody films? Okay, I like it. No, this is the new. Uh, this is part of the metaverse of Star Trek. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Okay, yeah, well, either enforces or I have my own theory, which I'll get into when we hit the discussion portion, because I think I have. I think I've cracked this whole thing oh, wide like open it. after reviewing. Oh, oh man, the Star I, Trek code. Right. Let's just let's just skip right to it. You know. <laughs> So Star Trek Insurrection was written by Michael Filler and was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who also appears in the cast. Now, Isix wanted to have a chance to quickly run through the Star Trek Next Generation cast since we have not yet introduced any of them, even though I'm sure everyone who's listening to this is at least passingly familiar with Next Generation. Otherwise, go watch some because you will just be deathly confused by this entire enterprise. That's almost a pun there. Uh, yes, I like that. That was really good. Yeah. So uh, playing, uh, you know, Captain Picard is Patrick Stewart, best known as Gurney Halleck from Dune. Uh, there is also Jonathan Franks, who plays Xanatos from Gargoyles. So he's playing Commander Riker. There's Brent Spiner, who uh, played uh, Dr. Eric Sung from uh, Star Trek Enterprise. He's playing Commander Data. Uh, there's LeVar Burton, who played himself on Reading Rainbow. He plays Jordy LaForge. Uh, Michael Dorn, who plays Worf in this movie, is uh, also known for playing I Am Weasel on Cow and Chicken. <laughs> Gates McFadden, who is playing Beverly Crusher, was in The Muppets Take Manhattan as Dr. Price's secretary. Very important role there. And of course, there is uh, Marina Sirtis, who plays Troy, who was uh, Dr. Markov in Stargate SG-1. Now, I, I know all our audience knows every single one of these roles very well, so uh, I don't have to go into uh, more details on that. No, I I love I love the uh, the the shout outs to their previous films and and credits. I like how I like how Lavar is just Lavar <laughs> from Reading Rainbow. He's been in other things, I know, <laughs> but that's good. No, I love that. That's great. Yeah, he has. I was reading a thing. Just he was such a good actor that he wasn't thinking about acting. Then he auditioned for something, landed a starring role, and has just been doing it ever since. Since he was like a teenager. Wait, he was in a he was in the Roots. He was Roots. Mm-hmm, roots. Yeah, he was a Kunta Quinte in that. Yeah, very good, popular movie. Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely launched his career. And then jumping into this, uh, and after they shaved off that crazy mustache they had during uh, pre production that their Forge originally had for TNG, he he uh, was able oh, to yeah. and the mullet. I think there was a mullet, a bit of a mullet there too. Oh, no. So yeah, it was not a good look. <laughs> definitely a good idea. Somebody somebody said, "Hey, Gene, we should probably." maybe nix the stash and uh, they did the right thing there. So yeah, he definitely owned the role. So yeah, I love it. Look up some pictures now. (laughs) So just because there are too many people in this freaking movie, I'm going to very quickly with no additional credits run through the guest stars. We have Uh, (laughs) F Murray Abraham is playing Adaruafo. I didn't realize until I was reading the script that every name in this thing has at least one apostrophe in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So weird. Uh, Donna Murphy is playing Anij. I think that's the best way to pronounce it. I couldn't hear it very well when it's they hard, said it in the movie. It's hard to pronounce, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's playing, yeah, it's just, an, uh, is it uh, Anaj? Anij? Yeah, I'm not Anaj. quite sure, yeah. A-N-I-J. Annie J. Anthony Zebri is playing Admiral Matthew Dougherty, and Greg Lee Henry is playing Galatane. Yeah, there's some other people, but they're not super important. Yeah, these are most of the major speaking roles. What's funny is, is there's actually, because this movie, um, came out you know back in 98 there's actually a couple of like background actors that i noticed um especially like on the bridge crew of the sona who are wearing a lot of their different makeup and kind of costumes and stuff 
that are more famous uh, science fiction stars uh, that, that have kind of later come out um, as time went on. So it is kind of interesting to see how certain people kind of maybe got quote unquote started in this realm of science fiction just from these movies. And this is obviously not exclusive to Insurrection, but it is interesting to kind of pick some of those names out that you kind of see like, oh, wow, you know, back in 98, you were you were a Sona officer number five, but uh, now you're you're one of the main characters from Battlestar Galactica or whatever it is. So it's it's quite interesting for sure. Yeah, it's always fun. I was going back through once and watching um, Star Trek First Contact and then this guy pops up and has the dumbest speaking line in the entire movie and it's his only thing. And it's like, oh my God, you were in Arrow. I recognize you. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a, you. You were an arrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, different kind of like little, um, like little people that kind of like make make different appearances and stuff like that, which I I think is great. I think it's kind of fun. Like they think even uh, what was it in First Contact? I think it was Adam Scott had the uh, speaking role on board the Deviant where he was like, it's the Enterprise, you know, but he was just a no-name actor at the time. Like, nobody knew, nobody was, like, watching the theater, you know, and they were, saw him pop up, and they are like, oh, my God, that's that's Ben Wyatt oh, from Parks guy. and Recreation. Like, nobody knows, you know, who Adam Scott was, you know. Now people see that, they're like, oh, my gosh. But, right, he was just, you know, he was probably just jazzed to be on the Defiance set, you know. He's probably just excited, which I would be, too. We could probably go on with this one all day. So let's just go into this actual story that we're talking about. And then that'll give us something else to talk about all day. All right. So, uh, so, so where do we begin, Gepwin? All right, our story opens in an idyllic village in some weird late renaissance level of technology. <laughs> An undefined technological alien era, but not super modern technology stuff. It's just like this fun, idyllic little agricultural town. Blacksmith and irrigation and lots of digging. It's an interesting thing there, right? Like... Obviously, later on, we find out that they, like, that one of the guys is like, we were unable to repair his positronic matrix because of a phase variance or whatever it was. And it's like, well, with what? Like, with the wheat? Like, what were you using? Like, so is there like a, is there like a shed back there that you've got like all the, when, when it becomes like, oh, yeah, we got to build that bridge and make it perfectly symmetrical and smooth. They've got like a shed full of equipment that they just go and use, you know? It's like, what were they going to repair his positronic matrix with i, I mean, we poked I don't know. him with a stick and it didn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just uh so we just let him kind of just fly off really we just kind of hung out you know we fed the crew you know we gave him some you know crab legs or whatever the hell it was on the table that i saw which was a weird <laughs> buffet of food <laughs> maybe next time uh you know we could try a hammer on the plow and to see if that works on yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. We hooked him up to our windmill and it didn't seem to fix anything. Oh, well, you know, because that's probably not how that fucking works. But, you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Anyways, yeah, continue with the Baku as you as as they are. We continue with our tour of the village introduced to the annoying child of the movie, who's arguably the world's worst hide-and-seek player as he pops out of a haystack and is chased around by friends. Then our perspective shifts and we're not just passively observing but we're actually seeing a federation observation post with some kind of stretchy faced aliens that we don't know yet and they're just observing this village for no readily apparent reason with cloaked suits walking along with the inhabitants which honestly seems a little risky you're gonna bump into someone it's not even that it's there's a moment where like during that sequence from the duck blind you can see some of the uh suited people down there and they're like walking across like a loose gravel path. You know, it's not soundproof boots. You know, they're going to hear yes. like the crunch of the gravel and be like, 
what? There's something going on with the ground over there. What's <laughs> yeah, going it's on? A, it's the sandworms, you know, like, what are they? Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, I remember watching this um, movie when it first came out. Actually, I was able to see it in theaters, you know, and I, even as like a younger, as a younger uh, kid at the time, I remember seeing the, the stretchy faced people and just immediately just being like terrified of them. And then in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that's a, I wonder who the villain is. Oh, it's probably the guys that look like monsters. Oh yeah. Okay. Dressed in cloaks. Okay. Got it. They, they don't want to be ambiguous in these movies. They don't. No subtlety. Nope. Yeah. Things don't stay super idealistic for long because as soon as we see the observation post, phasers start going off. There's gunfire. There's reports that the android's gone haywire and commander data spouting some sort of weird error message starts running through the village, incapacitating several of the observers before removing his suit, taking a phaser off of one of the other officers and firing at the observation post, which reveals all of the inhabitants to the planet. I do that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know what I will say, though, <laughs> about that scene is the effect of like Data's head kind of just hanging out like and he's kind of like, mm-hmm. walking around and all the all of the different cloaked suits. The effect was actually pretty good. I thought it held up. I thought it looked nice. Yeah, yeah. I kept looking back. It's like this was made in the late 90s. The effects hold up. A lot of the cinematography holds up. Like you could see this movie today with like little tweaks, but everything like it, it held up surprisingly well for a late 90s movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I the, the whole opening sequence was actually much better than I remembered it being uh, from the last time I watched it. And yeah, those effects, like even when the, the duck blind is kind of uh, decloaking or whatever for when he shoots it. You know, it looks great, you know, in that in that position there and, and how they all kind of walk up to it. What a great shot. You know, they're all mm-hmm. like looking through the window there. It's very interesting. It's like, hey, we're uh, we're not visible. Um, uh, hello, uh, alien people here. Hello. I'm sorry about... Uh, this is awkward. Yeah. 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 Um, Maybe special we effects around here. shouldn't have put this duck blind right inside the village. Listen, <laughs> 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 well, there's a lot of issues with it. Just, just don't, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Cut to Picard in bright white dress uniform with Dr. Crusher and Counselor Troy helping him prepare to meet some representatives of a new Federation member planet. We get some quick grounding where we learn that this movie is set during the Dominion War, which was set up in Deep Space Nine. The Federation has suffered heavy casualties from both this conflict, their war with the Borg, and their recent skirmishes with the Cardassians, so they're in kind of a eh position, and the Enterprise has been left to take care of mundane, everyday diplomatic stuff, like they have been doing for literally the entirety of next generation but now they are complaining about it i guess uh yeah. also yeah. Worf is here because now we need to explain why Worf is here because he's on ds9 but the thing is is they don't even they don't even address it do they they just kind of like he's just there they weren't even at a, a star base he's just on the ship how did he even get on there what is he well just... it's great i just love this because they're admitting that it really doesn't matter like Worf, good to see you yes i was on my yeah 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 fine yeah, it's not important. Uh, let's go on. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I guess that's true. They do kind of like make a bit of a joke about it because it's like, like, how are they going to, what are they going to do a TNG movie without Worf? Yeah, Worf's here because Worf needs to be here. Right, because it's in the script. The whole crew. Yeah. The whole cast. Because he's contractually obliged to, <laughs> to appear. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, exactly. You know, he has a very important role in the movie because he has, you know, to shoot the giant bazooka. So. Yeah, be there. Who else Shoot is going to Suzuka and uh, have Klingon puberty and yes, a gorge. Yes, a gorge. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, who else was going to do that? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was necessary. 
Picard does his diplomat thing as well as Picard always does his diplomat thing, but he's interrupted by a message from Admiral Dougherty requesting data schematics because he's stopped responding to authority, basically, and he's holding people hostage on the planet. Picard offers to bring the Enterprise to assist, but Dougherty doesn't think it's a good idea because the entire area of space that they're in is full of anomalies that they don't quite understand and they need to modify their ships to work in it, and they call it the Briar Patch so that we can refer to it easily. Dougherty's like... You can't come in here, nah, because it's like super dangerous and your ship's not calibrated for it. And then in like the next scene, they're like, yeah, we're going. We're just going to fly right into this big cloud, you know? Yeah, yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, we got the shields, so what's the BFD? <laughs> well, we're the Enterprise. Yeah. They do kind of mention it's like it, it works. It just doesn't work particularly well. Yeah, don't just don't worry about it. They can get their ship in there, but it doesn't go full speed or anything. It'll break. <laughs> it doesn't go. Yeah, yeah. We're still uh, you're still able to use the manual steering column, but some of the other functionalities not so much. Seat warmers they don't work at all. Yeah, yeah, they're broken. The AC is also not so good. So we're gonna get some fans up here, gotta air out the engine room. So Picard, as we've said, doesn't really take these orders very well and decides that it'd be best for the Enterprise to drop by and pick up Data anyway, because it's Data, and otherwise we don't have a movie. Meanwhile, Admiral Doherty meets with Adaruafo, who's the leader of the Sona, who are the stretchy-faced guys we saw before. Uh, also, during this, we see the Sona getting their stretch-faced stretched more, which is a weird sentence I wrote for some reason. Mm, yes, uh, very good. In a cosmetic surgery lab that yeah. they have. You really stretch that sentence boom yes <laughs> so like we know that these people are bad because they have cosmetic surgery with hot alien women listen we're gonna get into that during the discussion piece because yeah. that's that's the, my bone to pick with this movie the Rafa is upset with the federation because the stuff they're doing to protect the only 600 people on this planet is putting all of their plans at risk the plans they have that were foreshadowing also his oh, ship no. is now under attack because data showed up from somewhere it's like hi data um are we are we in danger here the ship seems pretty weak and small uh what gives <laughs> yeah there's no uh there's not a lot of consistency with the the sonar ships you know because data like wrecks it with that little shuttlecraft but then later the same like ship and another one like just tries to like basically just wrecks the enterprise you know so it's like are they strong ships or are they not good ships like what are we what are we doing here folks they don't they don't know they only sent one out to attack like the good one out to attack the enterprise all the other ones aren't built very well <laughs> non-standardized technology just a standard sona approach there, just uh, cutting corners in the engineering yep, yep. Yep, typical. So as the Enterprise approaches the planet in this briar patch thing, Troy and Riker read up on the Sona, who have conquered primitive races, used them as cheap labor, manufactured Ketracel White, which is the Dominion-based narcotic that they use to control their troops, uh, have illegal subspace weapons, and basically aren't the kind of people that the Federation should be involved with at all. In fact, they sound just horrible. It's like, and it's kind of like, okay, and they... You know, uh, converted these uh, primitive planets to have a worker class, <clears throat> not slavery. Um, you're really kind of stretching here, guys, mm -hmm. trying to make them seem. Yeah, they were they were in there. They were churched up the language for the uh, official Starfleet Encyclopedia Wikipedia entry for the Sona that they Googled or sp yes. space Googled. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, and this is I'm bringing up that scene later on in my my upsetness about the Sona. <laughs> it's like this crazy thing. They're like talking about all these terrible things. And then they're like, oh, you haven't done that in a while. 
what you're doing to my neck. <laughs> it's like, wait, what are, what's, the, what's the tone in this scene? What are we doing? Yeah. Is it sex? Try and or is it start just to, you know, flirting with yeah, each what, other? Like, what, yeah. Oh my God, war atrocities. Ooh, hi. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, what you're doing to so my hot. neck. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You can tell that Frakes directed this. Yeah, you mean how he gets to hang out with Marina Sirtis in a bath bathtub? Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. I skipped that later because it's not really that important. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you watched it thoroughly, frame by frame. So they aren't the only ones who are behaving weird because they start flirting. But also, Worf sleeps in and is late for his duty shift. And Picard can hear a misalignment in the sensors, which he apparently used to be very, very good at when he was younger. So uh, everyone's just kind of having a weird time. That's interesting. Yeah, everyone's having a weird day. Yeah, which is interesting because the implication there isn't really clear. It's obviously now in hindsight after obviously they're trying to set up the effects that the planet's rings have on people. But they're not super close to the planet and they're just entering the briar patch. And it's like, okay, so is, is it the whole area? It, or is it just the rings? Like, because the whole... Yeah. yeah, they're not very clear on some of this. <laughs> right, they're not. And then it's, yeah. Anyways, all right. Yeah, I'll get into but, my gripes about the rings. They get there, and Dougherty is annoyed the Enterprise is there because he didn't want them to come deal with Data. But, you know, if they're here, they may as well. But if they fail, they're going to have to destroy him because he's acting too erratic and messing with their stuff. So Worf modifies a tricorder to shut Data down, but only at extremely close range. And he and Picard board a shuttlecraft to go find Data. Uh, they give chase briefly. Picard decides that since attacking him isn't really working, they should try singing because I guess Data was rehearsing HMS Pinafore before he left. And we get what I objectively know this is a really, really bad scene, but I love it where they both they all just start singing Gilbert and Sullivan while they're flying around the ships and attacking each other. And it's kind of great, even though it's objectively very stupid. I would uh, I would uh, propose a, a different thought. You know, it is a ridiculous uh, concept that Picard was like, you know, we should do, we should probably do a little karaoke. You know, like it's, karaoke is not going to maybe fix the problem, but it works. And and it, it, the thing is, is is the scene is effective and it's iconic. Mm-hmm. And that I think is, is yes, it is, like you said, objectively kind of stupid, uh, you know, from a storytelling script standpoint. But it, from a visual perspective and us on this little adventure, like it, it worked very effectively. And it's something that people, like everybody knows that scene. Everybody knows yeah. the HMS Pinafore scene. Goofy as hell, but kind of fun. Right. I'll get right. into it more later. But I think the, the thing that really, really saved this movie, despite how many problems it has and how kind of stupid a lot of it is, is this cast is still amazing and they still have the best chemistry that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we got got some crap material, but we're going to have some fun with it and just kind of make it work. All right, let's go. I didn't put them in because they're not story relevant, but every scene has at least one kind of stupid, not very well written joke between two or more of the crew and they pull it off. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you 100% there. I mean, their, their chemistry is it's palpable on screen. I mean, you can even reference that to the Star Trek Picard show where, you know, when you had, you know, Sir Patrick and Frakes and Sirtis in the same scene, like there was a different energy when he was with the other actors. Not not to say anything negative. It's just... They just know each other so well. They're playing off each other so well that it's, yeah. it's palpable. Like, these are people yeah. who already had chemistry to start. As bad as the first season of Next Generation was, which we, like, we are going to get Ugh. to later. Like, that season Ugh. wasn't great, but, like, they no. still had chemistry. They started with chemistry, and this is after they've been working together for, like, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. Well practiced. Yeah, well practiced, and and they know each other, and that's I think I think you're right to say like even the quote unquote poor TNG films are still salvageable. Like every of them, like Nemesis and Insurrection are kind of like the two ones that get crapped on the most. But even with the two of them, like there's still so many great moments and elements and sequences between the actors because of who they are and their interactions. And mm-hmm. right to say like they are that's that is the saving grace of of any script. And and it's great. You know, imagine if they spent, you know, a couple more months maybe cooking this one. It could have probably been even, yeah. potentially even better than First Contact. We have a schedule to keep. Yeah. So Picard and Worf managed to use the Gilbert and Sullivan gambit to deactivate data, and then almost immediately, it seems, Picard and the crew beam down to the Baku to rescue their people from the village, who don't actually seem to be in any particular danger and are just having a nice time. Taken out, uh, you know, be, be great, be great hostages here. I uh, hope we, uh, you know, can do this again sometime. Uh, you know, feel free to take some leftovers with. We also see like all of the kids playing super like multi-dimensional hacky. I'd forgotten hacky sack was a thing for a minute. Yes. So like it's like, oh yeah, the nineties. Right, right. Oh, right. Hacky sack and it's futuristic hacky sack. You know, I will tell I will say this though, is the sequence where they focus in on them is one thing, but actually when they do the wide shot, when they cut to the wide shot of all the, you know, quote unquote hostages, they're still back there, you know. Those yep, kid, yeah, those kid actors it. are still pretending to hit things that aren't there, uh, you know, which is great. You know, I think that that was a great attention to detail because they could have just not had them back there, but they decided to keep that in. And I thought that was a nice little, uh, nice little effort there to kind of, you know, create a, a sense of continuity between the sequences. So it was smart. Troy watches the kids play super hacky sack and comments on how everyone here has great mental discipline, which is weird, I guess. Also here we meet Galatane, the Sona second in command, and... Anish, who's the sort of default Baku leader, or at least one of them, because she's the one who's always talking to people. Well, you have Anish, and then you have Disappointed Dad, is what you have. Yeah, Disappointed Dad. Uh, Is Artem, right? Or am I thinking somebody else? No, Artem's the kid. Oh, okay. Disappointed Dad is named Sojef. Sojef, okay. Which is just like... Some sort of 90s sitcom. He's so Jeff. And he's so Jeff. And he's always yelling at his son, you know. He's always telling people to get inside, you know. Yep. He's always just upset. He's just so, get inside. It's like, okay, we don't care about such things. God, could you take it easy? Yeah. <laughs> loosen up the vest. He's wearing that ridiculous smock. Ugh, God. I, I don't like that character. I don't know if you guys caught that. So here we learn <laughs> that the Baku already know what an android is and how it works and that they actually have a really advanced level of technology to just choose not to use it. I wonder if we've run into uh, this weird agrarian sort of you know, cultism on Star Trek before or after this. Nope, definitely not. Nothing we've ever done before because when they left the show and started writing the movies, they just forgot all of the episodes. Yep. <laughs> so this creates a handy-dandy loophole for the Federation because, as Picard later explains to Dowdy, they already have warp technology on this planet, so their culture's not going to be overly harmed by learning that they were being secretly watched by advanced aliens. That's convenient, but okay, there's still some more questions here. So Dowdy just orders Picard to leave while he tidies up some loose ends. Nothing honest happening here. Go away. Riker and Troy flirt more and kiss with comedic results because that was fun and necessary and also uh, nonsense because she's like i've never kissed you with a beard before and then continuity continuity errors i you know i watched the show (laughs) (laughs) that's okay though 
It doesn't matter. Well, she's being flirty. They don't have to be taken literally when you're flirting. That's true. true it true. is. It is. And it's that's the point of the scene. The point of the scene is that they're just having some fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, later, Jordy has discovered that Data, in fact, didn't malfunction. He was shot with one of the Sona weapons. And that oh, well. caused him to go into a fail-safe defense mode where the only thing he possibly knows is right and wrong. That's That Ethics. one's kind of interesting. <laughs> So we now know exactly what Data's uh, ultimate uh, ethics program looks like when it's running the show. Yeah, shoot everyone. <laughs> yeah, the, the plan is kick the shit out of all of my 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 coworkers and then reveal the secret duckblind mission. That's yeah. the uh, secondary subroutine. Yeah, you didn't see that in the fine print when you ordered the Data model? The Data's understandably confused because the last thing he remembers is following some Baku children up to a lake. Uh, they go down to the planet to figure out what happened. They team up with Anij, So Jeff, the male leader dude who we mentioned, and Artem, the movie's requisite annoying child. And then cue very awkward sequence where Data like chases him through the woods and he's like, I'm all better now. I'm fixed. <laughs> yeah. Why are you afraid of me, small child? <laughs> why are you afraid of me? I am robot man who tried to murder you. Yeah. It's like maybe maybe Data just chill the fuck out, you know, yeah. take it easy. Also think about it. Data followed these kids kids into the woods they were like secretly aware of like all the people observing them and they're like there's one of them is following us this is getting creepy i mean the whole thing is it's a bit off really you know <laughs> they're just like <laughs> like where what's where's the line drawn you know people having like a marital dispute and they're like oh what better watch this one better get this on the on the record valuable insight into the social dynamics of their mating practices and yeah. <laughs> you know talk about the duck blind they must not have been doing a very good job because they were down there for how long and they never noticed that they also had like a big tool shed full of positronic phase variance equipment. You guys didn't pick up on that? Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, they never waited that shed, you know? Oh, you know, it just seemed like, you know, <laughs> yeah, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, well, it was labeled as the not important shed. So we just figured. Yes. Yeah, we took them at their word. Only shovels in here. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the shovel shed. Oh, they lied. Oh, blast. <laughs> Baku. Baku. The Baku. <laughs> yeah. So they go back to the lake where Data was shot. They do some futzing around with underwater scenes and Data single-handedly opening a dam to be cool looking. I hope there was nothing downstream of that. Usually dams are there for a reason. But anyway. Don't worry, the entire village is flooded down. Don't worry about The practical it. upshot of this is that there's a cloaked ship hidden underneath the lake. Surprise. With yeah. Picard, Data, and Anish like, boat out to the thing. So Jeff goes, no, we do not want to know why there's, there's a ship here. He's busy being a disappointed dad again. He's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. he was like, we don't care. Get back inside. Technology bad. Yeah. Uh, when you create a machine to do the work of a man, you take something away from the man. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, what level of machine? Because they have machines. They just don't have like robots. Yeah, they have the irrigation. They, you know, they have you know, the metal tools. They got. Oh, they got the dam. What's your level here? What's yeah, your standard? Well, it's, it's only. Uh, it's you know. Yeah. Right. What's the? And it only lasts until they have to repair a positronic, you know, matrix. The phase variance. Yeah. Yeah. So they go to the cloaked ship and they discover that it's actually a giant holodeck that has a hologram of the Baku village that probably could only be used if they wanted to secret all the Baku off-world for some reason, and Daido was arguably shot to protect the secret of its existence. Uh, to hammer this point home, they're immediately attacked by Asona, who was on board. They take care of them quickly, and the only particular takeaway from this is that Anish can't swim, which never comes up again. So 
technically does, but as a part of a joke. This was the setup for a joke later. Yeah. You know, it, the thing... Oh, God, I can really just talk <laughs> about this this transporter cloaked ship thing that they were going to use with the... It, it doesn't even make any sense. And you know what? It, as you're talking, like, it doesn't even make any sense. Why didn't Data know about it? You know? He's yeah. lieutenant commander attached to this mission. It's sanctioned by Starfleet. So did everybody else know about it except Data? Why? Yeah, why was Data here? Right. If he was there to assist in the mission, what mission did they tell him that they were doing that he didn't also know about the giant Federation cloaked ship that was just sitting over there? So back on the Enterprise, Worf has a comically large pimple, Riker has shaved, and Picard goes to his quarters and starts to mambo, which makes him deeply suspicious. He feels great, and that's terrible for some reason. So he returns to the planet to ask how old everyone is. First thing I would have thought of. Yeah, that's definitely an appropriate question. Yeah. It's like you, you show up at this woman's door at midnight. How old are you? Um, that's an awkward question to ask, just in general, when we don't know each other very well. Also, could you stop showing up to my house at midnight? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff expositions bed. at them that they came to this planet from a system that had devised weapons that were threatening to destroy the entire solar system. And that was like 300 years ago. The radiation of the planet's rings continually regenerates their genetic structure, but only after they grow up so the kids aren't creepy. Right. Yeah, so we're a no Miria situation here then. Yeah. Got it. Yep, better not think about it. Uh, just move right on. So on his way out, Picard sees Jordy standing on a hill. Apparently the radiation made his eyes grow back. Sure. Um, and he's there to see a sunrise. I'm just kind of curious what happened to the implants he had. Well, apparently those are just contacts, like, I guess, because it doesn't seem like they replaced his eyes with anything. Yeah, I don't really, it's not really clear if, like, if it's like something that, obviously, in this case, it does appear to be like some kind of, a bit like a future contact that yeah. just pop in and out. I and I guess I should mention just for anyone who, like, watched Next Gen the series and not these movies, at this point, Jordy has gotten rid of his visor and has some mechanical contact zoom lens looking things. Yeah, which he uses cool. to uh, creep on Zephram Cochran while he's trying to uh, take a piss, you know, in the woods. He's just zoomed right in on him. He's like, oh, I see him. Seeing the full Cochran oh, oh. right now. Yeah, Flight of the Phoenix <laughs> yeah. up there. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah, it's too much of a zoom. Uh, Nish and Picard go for a flirty walk later. He explains his moral positions on forced relocation he's against. And she talks about how they used to explore the universe, but now they explore moments in time. That sure makes sense. And that somehow Picard's a natural, trustworthy leader, which is weird for someone who's really young like he is, which is funny because he's not. Right. He's already kind of old, yeah. I mean, it's okay to say he's old, you know? It's, it's subjective, you know? <laughs> Back on their ship, Rafu is mad, but Picard lets them know that they have found their sneaky, sneaky ship, and Dowerty asks Rafu to leave so we can have a good old Starfleet chat. Dowerty and the Sona have a plan that they're going to harvest the radiation from the rings and turn it into some sort of new kind of medicine that could do something, 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 and that they are approved by the Federation Council for all this because there's only 600 people on this and it would help millions. Picard gives one of his good old moral speeches about how many people does it take before it's a bad idea that's none of those fun ones <laughs> yeah that's uh which i guess is a speech he should have given to himself several years earlier when he did several other force relocations but i guess we won't get into that yeah you know? uh, we, we ignore that they never did yep. that I, I, Shush. I, I guess maybe he's sort of come to terms like maybe i was the jerk in those cases we'll go mm. back and tell the native americans how you felt about removing well, them off we their still planet. don't know what happened with that because they just froze in the middle and wesley left and that was the end of the episode that was the yes. like yeah i think they just left him there for the cardassians i think picard said yeah all right, you want to stay Stay. 
See how that works out for you? Right. I'm not coming back. Yeah, and uh, start a Maquis and uh, eventually get all uh, eradicated by a mix of the Jem'Hadar and Cisco. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, good luck with that. So Dowerty orders Picard to just leave, and by the time that he manages to complain to anyone, this will all be finished with, so stop thinking about it. Picard leaves and dramatically removes all of his captain's pips. Dun dun dun! The dun, decision dun, dun. time! So Picard spends the night transporting equipment, using a lot of phaser rifles, to the captain's yacht, which is a small ship on the bottom of the Enterprise, which we've never seen before that is there. It has been canon since, you know, the early days of Avon TNG. It just, yeah... Yeah, it's, it's never mattered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just never knew about it. That's your fault, actually. That's well, like, your viewer's problem. <laughs> they tried to script it in a couple of times, but they decided that it was cheaper to just use the existing shuttlecraft set instead. Yep. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> he's, of course, discovered by the crew because they're they're good at what they do, even when he's trying to hide things. Jordy even says mm-hmm. that like they're going with him and he can't enjoy his new site because, you know, it would cost these people their lives, which like that makes sense. Data points out that they may all be experiencing impulse control problems because of the de-aging radiation, and he's the only one that can make rational decisions, and he thinks they should go shoot some fools. Yeah, I think his exact hey. words were, let's blow Rafu's dumb face right off his dumb body, I think is what he said. Something yeah. like that. This yep, is like a reference that. to some old Western or something I'm not familiar with, and I forgot the name. Yeah, of. I was going to say, this is very much a uh, Magnificent 7-7 seven, seven Samurai sort of moment where we're all coming, coming together. We're going to go defend the village now. So, uh, yeah, we're all in this together. Come on. Yeah, let's lock and load. Let's let's kill them and get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, let's punch their face a lot. Everyone except for Riker and Geordi go down to the planet, while the Enterprise goes to the edge of the Briar Patch to force the Federation Council to reconsider what they're doing. The other plan is to just keep everyone on the planet because they probably won't start the extraction process that's going to kill everyone while this planet is still inhabited. So uh, this is uh, assuming a lot about your bad guys here. Yeah. They definitely won't do anything morally questionable, the bad guys. When they're trying to do something morally questionable. Now, Dowdy and Rafa see the ship heading to the planet. Rafa convinces Dowdy to let him begin harvesting people from the planet early and that they should send their ships to go tell the Enterprise to turn around. But, you know, maybe they won't want to and he can't be responsible for what happens. Wink, wink. Yeah, and then that's where Dowdy's like... Yeah, whatever, you know, mm. Picard's kind of a dick, so I don't even care about it. Yeah, <laughs> I yep. told him to leave like 15 times. He doesn't want to listen to me. Well, what do you can suck on this Sona weapon? <laughs> Feel free, have fun. <laughs> Picard begins evacuating the Baku village using natural deposits of convenient transport blocking mineral along with some tech blocker things they brought along to keep people from being beamed away. The Sona ships arrive sooner than they expected, though, begin firing on their transport inhibitors and beam out several villagers, including Sojef, which leaves Artem all alone with Data so that they can Ah. have a subplot of them learning to like each other and Data not knowing how to have fun, even though that's been basically his entire character arc across seven seasons, but uh, children have to be here for kids, I guess. Just remember to have fun at least once a day and he's like okay so after escaping the village where they can be relatively safe in the hills until they reach the mountains and caves that will protect them for longer during a break and shows picard how she can slow down time for them to watch a hummingbird this seems to be pretty localized because then a bunch more sona ships show up now with flying drone things that are shooting tags at them that will let them beam out people despite all this stuff so like it's little killer drone things but it's okay they're beaming people out not actually shooting them so it's uh 
We're not full uh, Iraqi war yet. The crew yeah. takes out as many drones as they possibly can while they run to shelter. Also, at some point in here that I lost track of, Worf gets a bazooka and blows oh, yeah. up some Sona. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and quite possibly the best action sequence of all the Trek films is yeah. he's just... He pulls it out of nowhere and he just like, he doesn't even hit anybody with it. He just shoots a rock. Yeah, they're just tuckered out. <laughs> this lets Dr. Crusher get a really good DNA scan of one of the Sona. And she goes, oh my God, look at that. Yeah. Oh. We don't get to find this out until later. But yeah. she's like, oh, foreshadowing. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, the two Sona ships have intercepted the Enterprise. The Enterprise can't outrun them because they haven't been outfitted to move fast in this spatial gobbledygook thing. Uh, the Sona ship opens fire. Riker tries to hide from them in a nebula, but this causes them to fire one of their highly illegal super weapon things that opens a subspace tear behind the ship that's being dragged along by the warp core. Uh, Geordi ejects the core and detonates it, which closes the rift, but there's nothing stopping them from doing it again immediately after. They just don't. Riker decides to use the environment for his advantage and takes manual control of the ship with a joystick they have for some reason, and then uses the ship to collect some explosive gas, which he releases in front of the Sona ships, which then they shoot and destroy themselves, this leaving him morally clean. This is uh, right up there with plasma coils on uh, Klingon, Klingon warbirds. Like mm-hmm. this was uh, the yes. most, every time he's Riker's in command of the Enterprise and, and a firefight in the movies, it's the most convoluted thing he could think of instead of just being like, yeah, why don't we just fire all the quantum torpedoes at him? I mean, they took on a Borg cube in first contact and he's mm-hmm. like, sonar ships, oh, I better use the gas, better use the gas. To, <laughs> like, what are you, like, what are you? Can't just shoot them. Yeah. Like, too easy. <laughs> they literally just tried to suck you into a space tear, and you're like, well, you know, what about the directives, you know? I mean, they're not yeah. going to shoot them because then you'd have to question why Riker just killed a bunch of people. But this way, the enemies shot themselves by trying to attack. Makes yes. it more morally fine for your heroes, and you don't have to question things. Back in the caves on the planet, the Sona have begun firing randomly into the mountains to try to collapse the caverns that the Baku are hiding in, and it's working. The crew follows a small stream to try to find an exit, eventually being able to blow a hole in the wall to get to the other side. This works fine, except Artem does the dumb kid movie thing of losing his weird little butt-faced rat pet thing and has to run back into the caves to get it. Of course, Anish follows him, Picard follows her, they get Arden out, but then... Oh no, just before they can leave, the cave-in happens. Picard's fine, but Anisha's critically injured. And even with the crew digging them out, they're not going to get there in time. Lucky Picard just learned how to slow down time locally for them, probably with Anisha's help so that he can't do this any other time. It might be usable at all. Yeah, they could have probably so. maybe just slowed down the rocks, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah. nope, nope. <laughs> Better just let him crush her and, uh, and then just kind of sit in there for a little while, you yeah. know? But then they sit there long enough for Crusher to get to them, so it's fine. That's true, yeah. Picard now has this magic power that is only usable here. Yeah, the the time-slowing powers are pretty tangential to literally everything. Yeah. It's not even really, like, clear how it's done, who can do it, when they can do it. What it's even doing. What is it even doing? Is it just a feeling? Is the bird, did the hummingbird actually slow down? Or does it just feel feel like they slowed down? Are they putting something in that Baku water? As I say, is this altered states here? Yeah. <laughs> are you just hallucinating time slowing down? What, what do you... Oh my god, it's wink of an eye again. Yeah. <laughs> they put stuff in the water. <laughs> so they start heading towards safer caves, but then more drones suddenly appear, and you know these ones are serious because they pose 
before they start attacking. Oh, that's right. They do. They do like a little, uh, like a little, like we're going to get you kind of. Mm-hmm. Like oh, they guys. do a standoff. They show the drones hovering there, and then they show a close up of each of the crew looking tough. Hey, I wish uh, Worf had another shot in that purple space bazooka. You know, <laughs> bet you he wish he didn't waste yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yep, idiot. Data is able to take out all of the drones, but unfortunately not before they tag and transport both Anij and Picard. Oh no, we're done with the planet for now. Our point of view characters okay. left. On the Sona ship, Dowerty thinks that now that he has Picard, he can order him to tell his people to stand down and avoid a court-martial. But then Ruafo gets mad that the Enterprise destroyed his ship, and Picard points out that Riker wouldn't have attacked the ship except in self-defense, and that was probably something Dowerty approved, so maybe he should rethink who's getting that court-martial all of a sudden. It doesn't make sense still, but I guess we'll get to that later. Listen, (laughs) uh, uh, they can give out multiple court-martials. I'm just going to let you know. Picard, no, you know? no, it's one at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've yeah. only got Who's one judge. Who's the worst? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Everyone's to blame, and so, yeah, so, but we have to do this in order of who's the most to blame, so. And, by the way, the Sona and Baku are the same race. Just so dun, you know. Dun, dun. Apparently about a hundred years ago, some young Baku wanted to go back to their old evil technology ways, I guess, and they tried to take over, and when they couldn't, they all had to leave, and that was about a hundred years ago, so now they're dying slowly of old age. Ah, sucks to be them. It's not even revealed, like, okay, so how did they leave? So are there ships on the planet? Yeah. <laughs> like, what... <laughs> See, there, there used to be a second shed. Oh, <laughs> right. Spaceship. That was the ship shed. Oh, the second. Yeah. And it was labeled uh, gardening supplies only. That's all it was. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then you open it up. It's a whole entire ship hangar. Oh, well. So Rafa is just too mad now and is going to start the process anyway that's going to kill everyone on the planet, regardless of whether or not you know he's related to them. He and Dowerty leave, all distraught about how he was going to do all this for the good of the Federation, because that works out super well. Dowerty confronts Rafa, tells him that it's over, but predictably Rafa grabs him and kills him with one of those face stretchy things, so I guess at least that was used later. First shot a wing? Then he orders Galatane to move Picard and the other Federation people to the rear cargo hold, where the are not going to be adequately protected from radiation to start deploying their radiation doohickey that unfolds with some pretty cool looking CG sale things that like I, I had a magazine when I was younger about this movie and they could like could not shut up about how cool the CG on these solar sail things was. I mean, they are pretty cool. Yeah, the the effect I think still holds up pretty well, and it I think does. it's probably because it's a mixture of a practical effect with the actual model mixed with the cgi of the sails mm. and i actually think it's still pretty it's a very cool looking design and i'm glad that they really went for it with like an actual like ship like the collector was yeah. like a thing and it wasn't just like rafo's ship and it was just gonna shoot like a big blue mm. beam or you know and it was like this whole thing it's like everyone's like was really on top of their game as far as getting stuff together oh everyone except for the writer's room because yeah. <laughs> i don't know what happened there so they were like and then the cloak ships in the river oh, oh. surprise oh can it not go into space oh it's in space oh, oh, oh okay oh. Uh, yeah <laughs> oh. on the way to the cargo hold picard gives another speech about how hard it must be for galatane to have spent time with his old family and da 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 and that galatane's just gonna stand by and let all this happen and it's awful and it sickens him and then he's like is this how you're trying to negotiate with me i guess it's working though because let's go take over the ship yeah it's like no I'm not, I'm not negotiating with you you're just a coward you, you, know, you asshole I mean, it works. He knows his man, and he calls him out. It's like, what are you doing, standing here and letting people die? It's like, oh, now I feel bad. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, now that you've put it that way, I guess I'll do something. So they go to communications to tell Data and Worf to do something. On the Sona Bridge, they have a countdown for the harvester to start, but then Data brings up the captain's yacht and begins to attack them with a thing they did earlier where they shoot them with a techion something a something something that makes them have to reset their shields. And they need their shields because it's a radiation problem. So they reset the shields, and then there's blinky lights that everyone's confused by, but they think this glowy thing that happened didn't actually affect anything, so it's fine and we shouldn't question it. Yeah, everything's good to go. Well, okay, proceed with the plan. Yep. The evil plan that sh- <laughs> yes, can't be uh, foiled at all now. Evil plan, uh, pattern beta. Yeah, never mind that large blinding flash that occurred. Yeah, it's not important, you know. The collector goes off, spreads into the rings, everything's going great, but then a minute later, like, there's no data. And according to the instruments, the ship isn't turned on. Um, yeah, just everything's not working. So Rafa rages around for a bit and then sees a gap in the side of a panel and starts shooting things. It turns out it's the hollow ship. Oh, God. Which, which brings up just so many questions <laughs> of, was the Sona bridge preloaded in there? Why did they even bother Maybe? to trick Ruafo if immediately he knew it wasn't going to be the real collector? Why not just beam them, I don't, just beam them into space. <laughs> just beam them into space. Like... Or beam him to the be planet. Anymore. <laughs> beam him to the planet, and now he's like, well, sh- I can't use the collector now. I'm, I'm on the planet. I don't want to die. You know? It doesn't make... Oh, oh God. It doesn't well, make like, any I sense. thought they did that at first because the ship was in the river, but no, the ship's in space now. Yeah, now it's in space. Right, exactly. So it makes even less sense. And so I guess Data had time to program a ship bridge that he's never seen, including that sweet captain's couch that he sits on. Oh, I will say, like... Like, if you're going to do this, and you told Data to do it, like, we've we've consistently seen throughout the show that Data can, like, just go super speed, and probably could do that in about a minute and a half. So at yeah. least that holds up a little. So, I mean, I guess <laughs> that maybe magic, so. they could have had, I guess, uh, the Sona guy, maybe he, like, described what it looked like. He was like, oh, there's buttons, and there's, like, a couch. It's red. <laughs> it's got some gold trim on it. And Data's like, just like, I got it, don't worry. And I assume he activated his Dr. Soong rocket feet to get back to the hollow <laughs> ship in time. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Go-go data rocket feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't do enough of the go-go data. They don't do enough of that. They really know? should and have. They, they had the go-go data inflatable butt before. Yeah, I mean, he was a flotation device in the event of a water landing. So, I mean, maybe he's got rocket butt. So back on the Sona ship, Picard, Worf, and Calatane have taken over. Worf's here now. Uh, Picard orders to destroy the Collector, but the crew have begun to reroute controls so they don't have access to weapons anymore. Then the Collector turns back on because it turns out Urafo figured out what was going on and beamed himself over from the hollow ship and has now turned on the Collector. According to Galatane, there is a self-destruct that they can use, but Picard has to go activate it himself because of course he does. They can beam him on in close range, but probably not out again until he starts the self-destruct and turns the shields off, which will leave him about two seconds to get beamed out before he goes explode. Why don't they just send Worf instead? Because Captain, Super Captain. Okay. I mean, he, he's got to he's got to talk to Rafo, and he's got to be like, Rafo, we're we're getting too old for this, you know. He's got to do the the old joke. You know, Picard was a responsible captain for seven years. It's his turn to do some Kirk shit. Yes, That's, that that is true. You know, and it's <laughs> very much so. At least in this instance where he goes full Kirk, it actually is a little bit better when he does it in Nemesis, and he's like, "I've got to go to the Scimitar and fight Shinzon myself." 
and they're and and Worf's like, you know, there's like a hundred Riemann warriors on there, and he's like, it's just something I have to do. Just shut your dumb mouth, Worf. You gotta have the showdown, you know. You gotta have the Rafu yeah. card showdown. But uh, did it involve actually? Did they need to actually get into like a fist fight? I don't know. Not really, but probably not. At least that. At least they mentioned the explosive gas before they make use of it. Ten seconds yeah. or so before. So Picard beams aboard. He starts to climb the gantry to the long drop interior thing, which is like I I had kind of not realized until I started watching this scene. Every single one of these next gen movies has them climbing up a weird long drop tube thing. Yep. Yes, they do love a good tube. That's true. They love a tube what down is this? there. Some sort of tube. It's a simple set. It makes it seem. I guess maybe they think it makes it intense or something. I don't know. Gives people that are afraid of heights anxiety. They're like, uh, how far away should he be? I don't know. Probably up a ladder. I think. Yeah. And they just gotta climb it. Gotta climb it and get shot at. You know. So unfortunately, soon after he beams over, the Sona retake their ship, making it impossible for them to beam Picard out again. But Picard continues climbing. Rafa tries to shoot him until the ship starts venting the coolant gas stuff that might may or may not explode. They said maybe. Picard gets to the controls just as the Enterprise returns. Riker manages to take out Rafa's ship in a manner of seconds, which I don't, he could have done that before, I guess, with the other ones. But like we said, they they sent the only good ship out to chase the Enterprise. And, and then he blew it up with gas. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. So the Enterprise takes out that ship, starts rushing towards the Collector before it's too late. Picard has to, like, start the destruct thing. But, like, after he shoots the gas to, like blow up Rafa, which still doesn't make any sense to me because like Rafa's standing right there and he goes oh you're not going to risk setting off the gas and he puts down his gun he goes fine i will but he could have just shot Rafa, who's standing two feet away from him yes instead right. of shooting the gas at his feet and then watching it explode but that wouldn't be as climatic okay <laughs> yeah right right and we wouldn't have had foreshadow the gas exploding yeah remember the gas <laughs> yeah. you remember that when we put the thing in the and it exploded you remember that also yeah, exactly. this is objectively yeah. really stupid because if picard like misjudged how much that was going to explode he hasn't started the self-destruct thing yet yeah what if it just like flared up yeah what if it knocked both of them off or killed both of them and then the thing goes <laughs> off anyway <laughs> Or, you know, if only we had a massive starship with phasers and photon torpedoes outside of the collector that could, I don't know, just yeah. disable the solar sails that deployed. Start chopping it up and, you know. Probably doesn't work anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. Picard sets off the self-destruct thingy because it's too late and he's accepted that he might have to die to pull this off. Fortunately, the thing starts exploding from the bottom, which lets Riker and the Enterprise race the explosion up the side of the collector and beam Picard out just before Rafa was killed in the giant fireball. Hooray! We won! Also kind of dumb, but a really cool sequence. Another yes. right up there with the HMS Pinafore mm -hmm. sequence. Totally stupid, but is super iconic and is featured in many highlight reels yep. of Star Trek is that sequence where it's just kind of like it's exploding underneath it. it yeah, you're right. It is completely dumb and makes absolutely... Like, like what are they like? What is it like a cable hanging out the back? And he's got to grab on. Like what is this? Yeah. You know, like like it's, how is this working? Oh my god! It's literally the end of the Rocketeer. You're right. It's the end of the Rocketeer when they're flying the little heliplane thing over with the ladder. Right. It's totally stupid, but super iconic. <laughs> stupid, awesome. Yeah. For that reason, I love it. And that's it. So Worf's retaken the Sona ship because they're running out of air after the Enterprise attacked. Uh, Riker was successful in getting the council to reevaluate the Baku plan, so everything's fine now. The crew goes and hangs out on the planet for a bit. Uh, Picard reintroduces, I guess, Galatane to his mother to start the healing 
process of now the kids can come back, I guess. Which, sure, why didn't they do? They could have asked before, but I guess then we wouldn't have a movie. Uh, Riker worries yeah, that he's going to yeah. stop being as horny as he was when he leaves. And then Worf goes, no, you were always horny. It's fine. And then he's guy, okay, I just, I guess, wasn't horny enough before this. But yeah. I'll continue being horny now. Space Viagra. Now he's good to go. Right. Uh, Data's made friends with a kid and learned to play, thus completing his redemption arc of having scared a child one time. After he was stalking them in the woods, that's fine. (laughs) And Picard has to leave Anij, but he definitely has shore leave and will definitely visit later, because this is what the captains always say when they have to leave their love interest on the planet. That's true. I I think the uh, the tip-off that he's not going to come back is that Picard specifically mentions he has over 300 days of shore leave. So he's obviously not used much of it. Don't worry. I've never taken a vacation before, but this will be different this time. Yes. Yeah, he's coming back <laughs> for, for some space poon, and <laughs> spoiler alert, he doesn't. So, yeah, just write that down in the vlog. So then the crew beam back to the Enterprise, the end, everything's great. So if there's one thing that I think with this movie and most of the other, like, next-gen movies, it's they took Star Trek and tried to do Indiana Jones adventure stuff with it, and I think they're doing that pretty well, but it does lead to a lot of the stuff that we've mentioned a lot of, like, this was cool. Did it make any sense? No. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, right? Is So Generations came out, right, and it was kind of like just whatever. Not a big deal, you know? Yeah, it wasn't great, wasn't awful. Right, it was just whatever. It was like, okay, it's your first, you know, foray into it. You're kind of getting kicked off here, looking to see what you do. And then, the, then they came out of the gate hot with first contact, and everybody loves first contact. Like that's either everybody's either first or second favorite Star Trek film for the yeah. most part. And when you consider that they went from that level to this, it's almost head scratcher in a lot of ways as to how they fumbled it in such a way it's 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 almost bizarre that it it's like the quality went down in some regards specifically with the story that's my big issue is is the story itself like the action is is fairly good we're giving wharf hell about his bazooka but the action's good this the music is good the the characters are good the actors are great the visuals are great like i love the introduction of the sona we learned so much about them and the baku like there's a lot of world building happening there the briar patch visuals are so good like all of this stuff is so good but then they're like and we have this stupid plot about a collector and this stupid plot about a cloak ship and is and it's all this weird stuff that it's like i wish they had just spent a little bit more time to really narrow it down and I think it would have been much better. But right, like there's a lot of fun action adventure stuff like you mentioned, for sure. Yeah, they could have like given it another one more pass and trim out some of the dumb stuff. And I think it would have worked out okay. But like, I thought it was interesting because I hadn't quite put it together. And I do agree. It really starts going off the rails right around when they find the like ship on the planet when they're all going around down there which actually ties immediately in to my unified theory of what happened to star trek after next generation because everyone knows that first season next generation was pretty bad i'll still argue that it's not like the worst of all of star trek but it's pretty bad especially for how good next generation got yeah yeah comparatively speaking it's 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 rough everyone knows that the impetus for them to get better was that Riker grew a beard. That's oh, that was the shift in the uh, show. Yes, oh, the beard is going now. Right around yeah. when they discover the cloaked ship, he shaves off his beard. 
And so things fall apart pretty much instantly. Yeah. So even though he got the beard back by the next movie, like it's just broken now. It's not the same beard. And so it just never gets as good again after that. Uh, You know, that's a... I like the meta the meta construct there. I agree. It is interesting that the movie does fall apart right there at the kind of the, essentially the beginning of the second act and it just kind of falls apart a bit. There is an interesting bit. The the line that Riker gives to Dougherty about why it is that Picard's back on the planet, which is he needs to explain what happened to Data cuz his future in Starfleet may depend on it. That is something that is used as kind of a throwaway, but it's actually a very interesting construct, a very interesting idea that they spend zero time with because they're like, oh, there's not wrong data. He just got shot in the neck. You know, it's totally yeah, fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> it, 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 they, they had an opportunity there to create something that would have been much different and much more interesting from a character perspective with that idea of like, we have to like try to save data's career and that would have tied back into one of the most iconic episodes of TNG, which is, of course, Measure of a Man. And we talked, obviously, got a lot of that from Star Trek Picard show. But instead, it was like, no, that was nothing. It was actually just just big-ass cloak ship. Yeah, because it makes sense. Like, you can't have your android break for no readily apparent reason and then be like, well, I guess it's fine now. Since nobody particularly knows how he functions or works, I mean, it wouldn't be that much different than some than a human having just a random psychological break for no readily apparent reason. You'd need to be able to explain why this happened and that it's unlikely to happen again if you're going back into a stressful duty situation. 100%. So it makes sense. And that's where it's like, right as he's... And that's funny, too, because that's the last like really good line of the movie, which is where he's literally getting his beard shaved yeah. off yes. by <laughs> Troy. And right after that, we cut back to the planet, and then that's when Data's like, they fixed me! Ah! <laughs> He's like chasing ah. him through the streets, you know, and you know it's like this crazy. And then you know you got sad dad back there, and you know, and then this, this ridiculous plot kind of takes hold, and 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 it just it just frustrates me because this had the opportunity to become something much better than what it was. Yeah, not to not to rewrite the whole thing, but you're right. Like if you focused in on data, they had this bit in there, and that could go back to like the measure of a man sort of machine versus human debate. But also, like you mentioned, why doesn't Data know about the ship? Because it doesn't make any sense. And now, I think it was called Clues, if I'm remembering the episode right. Oh, I haven't yes. looked at it in a uh, while. The, the episode where there is, you know, they had to sort of do a, a redo of a bunch of memory erasing things going on. Yeah, yes. and then right. that episode, it's demonstrated that Data can be ordered to withhold information by a superior. Correct. And he's yes. like morally obliged to not reveal it. Right. And that's the thing is, is that would have been a much more interesting thing is if Data was briefed on the mission when he got there, then he's like, this is this is not I don't this is not right. And then Dougherty's like, no, nah, well, tough shit. Like the Federation Council's approved it. So we got to deal with it, you know, mm. and then like and then it kind of progresses from there. Maybe Data continues to kind of rebucket. And then Dougherty is the one that kind of interferes with Data systems. He returns to the Enterprise and then the Picard's like, what the hell did you do to Commander Data? And then they have to go on an adventure to kind of figure out what happened to him on that planet. Mm. And then they uncover like, oh, there's this whole thing going on here. And Data was actually utilizing his proper level of ethics, not the subroutine ethics. And he was trying to argue that they shouldn't be doing this. And it would have been a much more interesting plot point. And then they could have taken it to the Federation Council and been like, this is wrong. And like, you know, and actually had those moments as opposed to it just happening off like. Picard, or excuse me, Riker convinces the Federation Council to hold off on it in like a minute 
off screen and then immediately returns back to the planet. And it's like, well, if they weren't that shaky on it to begin with, well, maybe maybe Picard could have done something about it. You know, and it's like it's very bizarre that that it worked. Like they just kind of like rushed. I felt like after they found the ship, they wanted to rush directly into the action. And I like, I, okay, we've done the setup, and now we you know need to have enough plot bits to get us to these particular set pieces. And whatever they need to be, we'll just sort of put them together, and it'll it'll work uh, right. Which they did. Like, they wanted to do Action Man Picard. And they've said that in several things. And when they started the movies, they wanted to transition Picard from the, like, stand-back kind of dramatic figure that he was in the series into more of a central hero character, which is how you get Action Man Picard. Right. And, that, you know, and that wasn't just even the, the studio, too. Like, that was Sir Patrick himself, which, you know, is, is an interesting thing. And I think it's an entirely separate podcast about that yeah <laughs> his perspective on what poop card is you know but you know he was if you i actually have one of these books here like uh that i have on my shelf behind me which actually has a couple of behind the scenes featurettes between behind a couple of different productions including this one and um michael pillar the guy who did the screenplay actually like did like a little interview and he talked about like how he sent the first story treatment to sir patrick and he sent notes back saying no, I want to redo kind of what we did in the first contact where he's kind of action hero Picard. And that's not how they originally wrote it. So, and, and I feel like we, you get that sense because it's right as you find the holodeck and that's where the action starts to slowly start to pick up as the mystery is being resolved, like unre- unraveled, you know, it, that's when the movie falls apart because it feels like they almost tacked all that action Picard stuff on after the fact. And I think that kind of stands out. I feel like this also kind of suffers a little from having to keep the general Star Trek continuity going because trying Mm -hmm. to sort of merge the like next generation hopeful optimism federation with the sort of we're starting to go into the grim dark DS9 federation. It doesn't really mesh very well because you have a federation that apparently is willing to do something that is just very obviously against its core tenets as a sanctioned thing that they then get talked out of immediately by the crew of the good ship that is morally right and upstanding. You're right to say like the blending was not done. And that's why I say like earlier, like we needed that sequence where Picard goes to the Federation Council and does the actual advocation for the Baku and against this mission. Because then we can see, like, we they they set it up earlier in the in the movie where they're like, oh, after our losses of the Borg and the Dominion, and it's like all this stuff, and there's like there's like a little bit of setup there for it, but we don't see the need for this magical space particle that's going to save billions. Like, well, show me the like, demonstrate that. You know, like, <laughs> what's the motivation here? Right. The basic argument that they're putting forth is that there's 600 people on the planet. And relocating them and like destroying their way of life basically is worth it because it will get us slightly better medicine than what we have now. But it's not like they have bad medicine. They have like miracle level medicine. Right. Right. Everyone lives to be 150. It's fine. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you're right. The the like demonstrable need isn't there. And I do think if they had done something more, I've I've always been critical of the direction that they took the Federation after DS9 into this, like, morally corrupt organization. But this would have at least been able to bridge the gap a little bit because it goes from 
the core upstanding light and shining hope of morality in the universe from next generation to just as corrupt as any modern world government in ds9 but you don't really have the transition there right i mean the thing is is admirals especially in tng it was a very big trope the admiral the admiral shows up admirals Yeah, they're 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 up to no good. Yeah, they're doing something wrong. Like it's bad news. They're doing something. I mean, shifty. they had that even as far back as the original series. Anyone above the True. rank of yeah. captain is evil. Right. They're doing something <laughs> or at crazy. Least suspect. <laughs> There's very suspicious. But w- what they demonstrated, I feel like, in the TOS films, is that the Federation president, Federation Council, is like a different group of people that is separate from just the admiralty of of the of Starfleet. Um, and yeah, I feel like government in control, right? And, and I feel like what should have kind of like part of the things that could have happened here, which is that Dougherty actually was lying to the Federation Council, and he tricked them into thinking that it was one thing instead of the other, and he was kind of looking at it from his, and maybe not necessarily you make him a sympathetic, you know, villain in that he maybe had like a serious loss in his life, and if they had had this metaphysic particle, then his wife or his son or daughter or whatever could have been saved. And that's why he's like super like tunnel vision on it. And he tricked the Federation Council. And like, they could yeah. have just added this layer into it. Well, not demonizing the Federation Council, but kind of restructuring the focus on Dougherty being the primary villain, as opposed to literally a character that didn't basically nothing other than order Picard out of the Briar Patch like 50 times and, and they then do, just died. They do leave it open enough that it's not definitely a corrupt federation thing it could be this like this is this one admiral's pet project and for whatever reason he sees the war going bad he's had personal trauma on any of the things he's just laser focused on this one thing and it's his particular problem they don't really go into it enough to reveal which one you would have <laughs> so so this this brings me to my 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 big issue with this movie is that they like you just said they don't go into that plot point enough and actually the way that the movie is structured is picard is kind of in the wrong and that's the issue is the sona have the technology to harvest the metaphysic particles the planet that the baku are on is inside federation space the federation has approved the mission they want these particles and they have agreed that they're going to relocate these these indigenous population to another planet that they can go and live out on and Picard is the one that disobeys orders constantly, gets invi- invites himself to a mission that he has no business being a part of, and then goes behind the Admiral's back in order to try to convince the Federation Council. And yeah, it all works out because they're the heroes, but they don't do a sufficient level of explanation as to make they have the Sona come across as the quote-unquote the bad guys, but really they need the metaphysic particles, the Federation needs it, and they've been hired to do this job, and he's literally just interfering with it because he doesn't morally agree with it, and they did not do a good enough job as portraying them as the bad guys. Now, they they crank it up with Raffo at the end, where he kind of just goes off the rails, but throughout the rest of the movie, like, Raffo is kind of like, he's like, dude, like, your android attacked my, sh- attacked my people on the planet and took them hostage, and he's like, dude, your guy shot my ship and damaged it, and he's like, well, y- your guy's like, oh, well, we're going to kind of investigate. He's like, I have a job to do here and you're ruining it, you know? And it's like, I kind of sympathize with him in that regard. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Picard, why don't you just fuck off? You know, like, why don't you just go some, like, I'm trying to, like, they hired me to do this. Like, what is your problem? Like, you know? Watching this movie again, after one, having just gone through in order the entire original series run and not having engaged with like next generation in a while, 
it made me realize the thing that I miss about the next generation era of Star Trek and something that I feel maybe in like a nostalgic way is missing in a lot of our media in general. And I just wish they'd gone harder on that, which is just having a strong, unambiguous moral stand because Picard is not really interested in debating whether or not getting this particle is right or how much good it could do. He like sees this, he's like, this is wrong. It's unambiguously wrong. And nothing that you could say is right to come of it could make it any less wrong. So I'm going to oppose the wrong thing that you're doing. And they could have gone more into that. Right, most certainly. So like I was looking this up and this could either be viewed, we can get into a little bit of an ethical discussion. (laughs) This uh, could either be viewed, and I don't think it's because of the ambiguity in the movie. I think it's because of my unfamiliarity with with ethics like i'm not saying that i know enough about this to say directly which is why i think it could have two different views this is Mm -hmm. either a uh, deontological ethics versus utilitarian consequentialism argument in which picard is working off of a moral framework as dictated by the federation where he has a certain set of rules he's always going to follow and deviating from that set of rules is wrong whereas Admiral Dougherty is working off of a utilitarian consequentialism argument where he's saying that the thing he's doing is going to have a positive impact on the greatest number of people. And that could have a debate there. Or what it's something that I just learned about is there's actually two different forms of utilitarianism that you could be looking at here, where one is called act utilitarianism, where you judge an individual action as an individual action and only look at the good and and bad that would come from that interaction individually, which would be like, you know, do I do this? If I do this one thing, it will have this particular set of consequences that's only applicable to this one situation. Or you have rule utilitarianism, where you imagine actions as a group, say, killing someone. You say, killing someone is always a wrong as a group of things. Therefore, killing someone will always be judged as a wrong action, no matter what the other circumstances. Very uh, situational versus a uh, rule that applies to all situations. Yeah, it's very like this particular situation, maybe killing someone is justified because they, you know, are on a killing spree. But we've all in the other one, we've decided that killing people is always bad. So you have to try to find another morally right course of action here. And I, I would I, I think that I think that one of the bigger issues is that it's not quite clear his stance. Like, is it situational or is it based off of the rules? And I think that it's like a mixture of a little bit of both in his viewpoint, but it's not clearly described. And that's why I feel like instead of shooting his way to a resolution, the more appropriate kind of philosophical uh, resolution should have been Picard advocating on behalf of them to someone that would have been able to ad- you know, articulate his point of view better, as opposed to just, well, why don't we just blow him up? You know, why don't we just, <laughs> why don't we just shoot Rafa, you know, just blow his fucking face up. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, 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 they were, they brought up these really complex ethical problems and they resolved them by him just being like, oh, I'll just take the piffs ups and I'll just, you know, just head down there and hide in the caves, you know? Like, that's not really, like, that's not what, it doesn't really, like, what even was the end goal there? Like, what, was he just going to hide there for forever? Like, what was the plan? Yeah. Apparently, and just hope that uh, Riker or, or someone managed to get the ship out to let somebody know and then come and rescue them and <laughs> Wait, well, like, That's a huge, that's a huge risk. Like, what if Riker came back and was like, nah, that they were like, now we're going to keep doing this. And then he was going to be like, all right, sorry, Baku, like. 
we gotta go. Like, yeah, you know, sorry. like what was <laughs> what was the goal? Like, it was just like it was very, it was a very weird way of going about it. And Dougherty, I feel like the issue is really his interactions with Admiral Dougherty because Dougherty is obviously the the opposite. His his ethical uh, viewpoint is the opposite of Picard's, and they did not share enough sequences together to go through that debate more, whereas most of the sequences just involved Dougherty just ordering Picard out of the briar pen. Yeah, they started it, and that's actually the best like scene Picard has in the movie when yeah. Dougherty's trying to explain his position because it's only 600 people. So, well, how many people before it's a bad decision? Like, does it need to be 1,000 people, a million people? How many people before it's wrong to do? Right, and then Dougherty's like, Listen, go away. Just, just go away. Why don't you just piss off and just, just get out of the briar patch like I told you like four days ago, you idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's definitely going to listen to you now, for sure, Dougherty. Yeah, he's already disobeyed your orders like 40 times, but yeah. They should have done a debate because that was one of the strengths of Next Generation as a show mm-hmm. was that they did have many episodes where there was no action scene at all and they just sat down and talked about something for an hour. Right. And and that is and I understand like it's okay, so it's not a movie and I mean so that's not a TV show where TV shows kind of you can kind of do that. This is a movie and you got to, you know, play it up for mm. general audiences and Star Trek fans. And I get the the complexities of that situation. It's just again like if they had just restructured some of this stuff and I feel like if they had removed some of the plot holes from this movie mm. that it would have probably been a little bit better to digest some of the some of the short-ended, um, you know, philosophical debates. Like, on, like honest to goodness, like, if you remove the plot of the hollow ship, nothing about the movie changes. Sort of like, you know, a, a random plot device, but you could do that so many different other ways, and it would be the same movie. And I think the thing with the movie is, even if you want a slightly more action-y movie and not just a space drama, which I would have liked all of the next-gen movies better if they were still space dramas, but they already yeah. did it. This is the thing that's always confused me about a lot of the Next Generation movies is original series, Undiscovered Country, already did this. They had a blend of action movie set pieces and just philosophical and political debates. Mm -hmm. And it works really well. It's one of the better original series movies. You need to sort of uh, get some good pacing going on. You know, your action scenes can't all be, you know, loaded in the back end. You need to sort of sprinkle them out a little bit and you need to have, you know, beats and paces. And so it's not just a, you know, a sprint toward the end once you hit a certain point. Right, right. I mean, and that's the thing is like all logic goes out the window once after that philosophical discussion with Dougherty, the shortened version of it. Like that's like logic is now completely left the movie and it's just a disaster. Yeah. After that. Like that's when like the third act is when this movie really just goes into orbit off the rails. And it's it's and it's mind boggling that it was literally like you just said, like they just wanted to backload all of the action sequences to the rear. And it's and it, it, it makes no it, like it makes no sense. Like it's just so confusing that they would go with this direction considering their past successes and it's almost like did you not learn from your previous mistakes and successes like it's like they just i don't know like they just started from scratch i almost like it was very weird yeah it's kind of it's really interesting looking at it as a film history perspective i'm not pretending to know enough about this but you have first con first contact excellently written best of the tng movies then this which is like the writing's starting to go downhill then nemesis was like writer's strike (laughs) 
Right. It was not. It was writer strike, and that, yeah, I mean, I could talk all day about Nemesis, but right, like it got worse. Like Generations was okay. First Contact was really great. Everybody loved it, and they were like, "What if we did not that again?" And we mm. just kept ruining it. And it was just, and and, and it felt like uh, it's again like, and it frustrates me so much because there's so many fantastic elements and ideas being presented here that this could have been an epic movie that really knocked everybody's socks off, but they just, especially that third act where they're like, we're going to have them running out in the woods and they're going to be talking about breast being firmer <laughs> and like all that. Like, it's like, what is the, what, what am I watching? Like, yeah, what that is was this? just strange. Yeah. And yes. like, why are they talking about this? Like people are dying, like families are being mm-hmm. ripped apart and they're like, have you noticed your breast started to firm up? It's like, what, what is the tone here? What am I watching? Also, why it's is very... everyone teenagers? Every per- every adult on this planet seems to be somewhere in their 40s. Why did everyone revert to teenagers? Yeah, because, because, okay, because that's well, just how well, it works. I don't know. Well, the, 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 the previous generation of teenagers, they became the Sona, you see. <laughs> <laughs> they rebelled. <laughs> I mean, again, like there's, it's, it, it, and then it brings up a question like, so the Sona always knew that the rings on the planet had that ability and i understand like and this is another huge plot hole it's like i understand that like they had to kind of like the briar patch and the baku planet is inside federation space but you know you tell me they can't just just slipped in and grabbed the radiation and then just dipped out like the federation would have ever even known yeah the federation didn't even know this planet was here right because they would have fucking taken the rings energy earlier they would have already done it you know, they would have done it during the war because they needed it. <laughs> they were probably panicking about that. Like, so it was just, it's just kind of like, it's very weird. It's very weird. And then they all like return and like Garofalo's like still like super bitter about it. And I get that. We don't see how that breakup occurred. So maybe he's just driven by vengeance, but they don't even, they don't lean enough into that. Like as this big reveal, it's just, they portray one Sona as like a sympathetic person who's guilty over what occurred and what's happening now. And then Rafo as like this just crazy person, but we don't get his story. We just hear like, they were they were really upset about the fact that they couldn't use, you know, space Nintendo switches or whatever. And they were really mad about it. And so we banished them from the planet somehow. And, you know, and then we don't, but we don't hear like, what happened? Like, what's like? Who's Rafa? Like, is Rafa's mom like on the planet dying? Why doesn't he care? Like, what's going on there? And we don't explore any of that. So it's not. He's not even a sympathetic villain in that regard. Yeah, that he's barely sense. understandable. Yeah. There's just so much. Missing. I think this gets right. to one of the core issues that this movie has, really, which is it's it's an odd one because they didn't want to use the Baku as characters at all in any way. You get like, right. first, you don't know who they are, and it's kind of intriguing. Like, who are these untechnological people? Why is the Federation here? Then they like immediately switch it into, well, they're anti, they're like anti technological people, but they are very, very advanced technologically. And then they still treat them as if they have no agency in this situation. Because yeah. like, they never go down and be like, well, now let's explain. Like, we're here to do this thing. We could take this natural resource that you are are relying on, but it would have these massive medical benefits for millions and millions of people. Like, what do you think about that? You're ethical people. Let's have a discussion. 
would you like to move and also like we supply you with the medication it might not even affect your quality of life that much like, you could potentially live wherever you like and you'll be able to live forever as well as everybody else in the galaxy so that'd be kind of cool right it, right they don't even explore any of those i mean of course i mean if they you know sit down with sad disappointed dad i mean of mm. course he's going to be like just get back inside we don't care about such things you know and it's but that's just because he's so jeff <laughs> Yeah, but they didn't even have the thing. They couldn't even have the, like, we're extreme pacifists. The fact that you are at a w in war means anything that we help you do is, you know, makes us complicit in this war you're having. We've run into those folks before. Right, and that's the thing is, like, the pacifist thing came out of, like, nowhere. And it's like, it was like, we're anti-technology. And I was like, ooh, that's very intriguing. And then when it came time to defend their town, they're like, also, we're, like, super pacifists, so we're not going to help you. And we're just going to just run around in circles and get shot off our bridges and stuff. Which they didn't even talk about. Like, this is an extreme pacifist society that's lived in an insular community for 300 years. Now, all of a sudden, all these aliens are here. They're being attacked by, by like, people that they should know, but for some reason don't. And then, like... Like, how do you feel about this? You've lived on this planet for 300 years, and all of a sudden, spaceships are shooting at you. So, uh, how are you going to react? <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's almost like, like, if they were explorers, and they understood the construct of exploration, they should have known that eventually someone was going to find them, because they understand the construct of exploration. Now, could they have known that the, especially considering the fact that they sent like half their, you know, teenage population off the planet. God, geez, I, I hope they never come back to the planet that keeps them alive for forever. Uh, <laughs> you know, or they don't tell anybody about it in like a drunken stupor. And so it's like they didn't have that situation where we cut back to the village and it's just sad dad and, you know, Ange, and they're just sitting there like having that conversation with the townspeople and they're like, well, we knew this would eventually happen. What are we going to do now? Mm. You know, like we never get their mm -hmm. proper perspective, their proper point of view. They don't treat, like you said, they don't treat them with any respect. Not only does the Federation and Picard not treat them that way, but also the script doesn't treat them in that in that way at all. Their props, their scenery, their background, they are... They, they are the the MacGuffin of the story yeah. as opposed to actually being And they don't want to go right. into the Sona either because they got, their entire thing is they were exiled from immortality. But now this is like not something that people generally are born having an expectation of. And it makes right. sense that they would have become weirdly obsessed with cosmetic surgery and back. life elongation and, and all these things. Right. Yeah. But, like, we don't see any of it. Like, we see the plastic surgery, and as far as I can tell, it's in there to make us feel like they're even more villainous because they are obsessed with plastic surgery, which, as we all know, makes you a horrible person. Now, haven't you ever seen Escape from L.A.? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, a, and that's, again, like, that's the thing. Like, they needed that sequence where the Enterprise goes back to Earth, sits down with the Federation Council, and they could even have a situation where they have to talk to Sad Dad and Ange and be like, I know you don't want to leave, and I know you hate technology, but you need to come with me to advocate for your people's right to stay here. And then they could have had Data step in and be like, I've observed the Baku for a number of months, and this is what I, like, they're a peace-loving, full society, and they don't deserve, like, the, you know, like, have that philosophical mm. discussion and, mm -hmm. and present it in a way that creates them as, like, a people and not just, like you said, props. Like, they're literally just props and exposition you could do that and you could have this that could even lead directly into your stakes escalation because right now you're talking about should we move them off planet and like 
possibly diminish their quality of life a little bit and make them no longer immortal, but basically just move them. Then you bring them over to the council, they all have this talk, oh no, suddenly they both get sick. Turns out that living in this radiation for too long makes you permanently bound to it for MacGuffin-y oh, reasons. There you go, exactly. Now moving them will kill them. Oh no. Right, and and Dougherty doesn't want to respond to the stand-down command, and they have to race the Enterprise back there to save the rest of the Baku, and then you still get your fight, because he has to fight the rest of the Baku ships. You still get your action sequence. Yeah. Uh, and you could even have, like, whether going to Earth, you know, have an early action sequence where right. some of the Sona show up and try to stop them sort of thing, and there's, like, a, a firefight and, you know, can you know cameo some other random ships that show up, you know. You, know, you could have all sorts of interesting stuff there, uh, but it'll be sort of a, a minor fight that's sort of like, oh, no, they're, they, these guys are serious about doing this. Right. They're trying to, like, kill us in order to prevent us from, you know, getting our, our saying. And none of that involves a hollow ship. None of that involves... <laughs> you know, hiding in a cave because of, you know, mineral deposits or whatever, or setting up what appears to be mobile heating lamps that they're <laughs> calling transport inhibitor. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it it just, that would have been, and I know we are kind of essentially just rewriting this, the, the plot here, but it would have just, like, there were so many other options that, again, like, if they had just spent a little bit more time with this script, it would have been better. And I, I don't know all the influences, but yeah, it's obviously this is the, and they didn't do very good box office wise. Like it was a, it was a flop at the time. It was a huge flop. And I think. If, if we're doing a little rewriting, I, I do have to say that I would have loved at the, like the Federation council, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're putting their case forward and like, uh, you know, a Vulcan stands up. It's like, what about the goods of the many? And it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, there are the goods of the many, but there is, you know, more things than just the the you know the utilitarian good there you can sort of really address that sort of point directly uh and uh, i think that'd be a very uh, you know good opportunity to go into the full uh dynamics of what's why this is wrong at that point in the movie as sort of the you know the mid uh, movie uh, uh, climax before we go home you know go back to the planet and try to you know you know save everybody yeah, yeah. i agree like i i think that one of the things Obviously, one of the most popular philosophical quotes that people like to throw out there from Star Trek is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, you know, and I think it would have been a fun idea to maybe challenge that construct a little bit and kind of upend it in some regards. And, and I think Picard would have been a perfect vehicle for that. Which they could have done in a really interesting way. Like one of the things that I came across like not directly for the movie, but this seems to be trying to do what is called the wrong answer critique of act utilitarianism, which is basically saying that according to this moral framework, you get into situations where you can say, well, it's morally right for a doctor to kill one person and harvest their organs so that he can give it to five other people who will live, because if you're only looking at that one action you hurt one person and save five people so it is morally right to do this even though any person can common sense see that that is morally objectionable right the whole idea of like the train track scenario you know where trains coming down and you have the opportunity to either save one person or save five people which one do you choose you know it's 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 a difficult decision and it's worth uh worth a really good script and Star Trek is the perfect vehicle for it and Captain Picard is a perfect character to bring up those those tough moral dilemma choices. You know, I mean this is the guy that didn't want to blow up the crystalline entity. You know? 
like, you know, it's a, it's a life form. It might be intelligent. We could maybe talk to it. You know, right. let's see if we could figure something out here. And he's like, ah, no, nah, uh, what if I just uh, hid in the caves and we just blew up Rafo and just made him set his fucking face on fire? Speaking of which, you know what bothers me about that sequence about, like, why didn't they beam Ruafo out? Yeah, like, they probably, he should have grabbed him. Haha, <laughs> 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 now you're arrested. <laughs> yeah, right, or, yeah, right, and, and then make him, you know, make him suffer for his consequences in a moral way, as opposed to just, I don't know, just setting himself, yeah. just getting set on fire, just blowing up, you know? I don't know if this is why they did it, but it reminds me of something I was reading about the making of the Stargate movie where they said that originally they just had the enemy's ship explode and that tested badly with audiences because they wanted to see the guy get blown up like in person. So they did a scene where they blew up the evil alien like on screen so that people would like seeing the bad guy get punished more. <laughs> he deserved it. Raw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dang Raw well. deserved it. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it is possible, but... That's also an action movie, yeah. you know, and maybe that's maybe that is the issue here that they're trying to blend a philosophical construct of Star Trek with action films, which again worked really well in First Contact, but here it was a bit of a mess. Well, see, First Contact had the advantage of using a accepted like enemy, like the Borg are. You already know the Borg; they've been set up. You know everything about them if you're a fan. If you don't, they're basically just zombies. They're pretty morally inambiguous. Like, the Borg are bad. You you get the Borg right. here, they're bad. There's not really much of a discussion. Right. Yeah, they're going to do nasty things to you if you do nothing, so. Right, and there's not a lot of, I mean, there is, obviously it's proven through Star Trek, you can save people from being assimilated. You can de-assimilate people. But in that situation, like, like there's a sequence in First Contact where Picard shoots one of the crew members who's being assimilated, like on the floor, mm-hmm. like the like, and you know, and he is taking the opportunity to essentially give him a mercy death because he can't just be like, oh, let me grab him and run him down to Doctor Crusher and we'll get these you know Borg drones out of him. Like we don't have the time. Like the ship's being taken over and there's five more drones heading right towards me. You know, so it's like when they're in that prime element, they are. It's like there's no ambiguity. Like. They are a threat, and they are there to hurt you and harm you. And if you have the opportunity to try to save them, you can, which is a great kind of moral question and stuff like that. But in that concept, construct there, in that in that specific context, I should say, like, there is no opportunity to do that. So it's acceptable for him to just, you know, shoot those guys with the Tommy gun uh, in the holodeck. Like, it makes sense. You know, like, it fits in the narrative and the context of this film. Whereas opposed to, like, if they found, like, a derelict Borg ship and they were like, ah, oh, let's just blow it the fucking hell. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they would have been like, well, hold on. Like, maybe we can save some of these people. But it's, it's, they don't really give that time to breathe in this movie with, with the Sona. And for that reason, it, it just falls flat with them kind of being those villains that deserve to be blown up. I could, like, see it as them introducing something else. Like, if they did the original thing with the Romulans, you have a known entity. You have a known entity right. alien. You don't have to spend a lot of time setting them up. You don't have to explain what they're about. They wanted an unambiguously, like, bad villain that you could know is bad and not have to explain. Right. But they didn't give you that. They gave you stretchy face alien. Right, who, as I said earlier, from our perspective, was really just hired to do a job, gets attacked multiple times, calls for reinforcements, and then, and then is like, what are we supposed to do? And then even after all of that, they're like, 
will send drones down to tag them individually. Like, are you 600 people? They're going to send drones down for six. Like, they're putting a great level of effort into not killing those people. And yes, there is the familial connection. So there's some complexities there. But it's like, they're trying hard not to screw this up. But at the same time, the movie's presenting them as these cartoonish villains. So it's almost confusing. Like, how are we supposed to feel about them? It's not clear. So they're both trying to be really nice guys, but also evil at the same time. And it's really, yeah, mixed signals. You run right. into the same kind of problem. Like, Star Trek historically doesn't do well with the forced alliance with your enemy thing. Like, they've done it a few times, but not in a sustained way. You've gotten the, like, individual, like, I can get along with the Romulan plot line. But, right. like, in... Deep Space Nine, where they kept allying themselves with the Cardassians on and off. It's like, you're working with a fascist dictatorship. Why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. This seems like a bad idea, guys. So in this one, yeah, they have like, right. they set, they like explain, like, these are absolutely the worst people in the world to ally yourselves with. But we did it, and now we can't really explain why, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that brings me back to that sequence with the neck touching, mm-hmm. like... They're like they're slaving people. They do they produce like the worst drug ever. It's like they're the these bad guys. And then they're then they're like also I'm getting a bit of a stiffy under the desk here because you're rubbing <laughs> on my neck. You know what I mean? It's like what am I doing? Like what are we doing here? Like this is not like this should have been in the conference room, briefing Picard, getting super serious, showing a map, you know, of some terror. You know what I mean? Like getting very like instead like, we're know. like. Here's the situation of the war that's going on right now that's raging right off screen. Now I just have this idea in my head of the like super serious briefing because like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, why are you touching his neck? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you haven't done that in a while. In the conference room, right, yeah. What you're doing to yes. my neck. Yeah, it's, it was just, like, I get that they were trying to set up that whole situation with the radiation impact, but it was not the right time for it. No. And that, again, is like, Again, like the, my issue with this movie is they just fail to really dive into this Sona being the bad guy other than just portraying them as the twisty mustache twirling villains. But then their actions don't even reflect that. It's, it's, it's very, very bizarre. Other than Raffle right at the end where he's like, I'm launching this collector right now. I don't give a shit. And I'm it, frustrated and desperate suddenly. Right, Surprise. exactly. Surprise, I'm going to kill everyone on the planet, which is which was also a bit of an escalation because this is the same guy who's like, I'll send drones down to tag each 600 colonists individually. And then he's like, well, what if we just put them in the lower cargo hold without the proper shielding? And it's like, well, wh- I don't get it. Like, what is, where are you at with this? If you're just going to kill them anyways, then why did you even bother to bring the drones down there? Yeah, you never really get the... Like, why are you working with the Federation at all? Like, you've gotten to this point. Maybe for whatever reason you needed Dowdy to agree to let you to the planet. But now you're here and you're completely cut off from all outside communication. Why are you still working so hard to stay within Federation guidelines? Right. He tries so hard. You, you obviously have them massively outnumbered. And there's just so many There's just so many things like this that it just piles up and just, you know, it just raises questions they never really address. And because you have to keep the movie moving. And so there's, there's, there's opportunity to sort of either restructure all of this or to have, you know, you know, you know a lot more content to set up all this, this, this good stuff and actually have it pay off as opposed to, 
this is kind of something referenced off screen. This other thing is not too important, so we're going to downplay it. And suddenly, yeah, we're running through the hills. That's all we yeah, need to see, care Yeah, see, I think my only problem that I really have with this is that it's trying to do both things. It's an Indiana Jones yeah. movie that's trying to have a strong moral center, and you can't do both. Like, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones can't run into the tomb and steal the idol thingy and then later have a, like, passing discussion about how wrong it is for Western culture to appropriate artifacts from other nations. But <laughs> 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 well, didn't you... Uh, right, <laughs> right, though, right, exactly, right, exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, you're 100% right. Now, I, I will give the movie props for sort of setting up this this weird alliance situation with the Federation trying to get a bunch of new friends uh, with the aliens right at the beginning that they're meeting with. Because it's like, yeah, they were kind of, you know, they're becoming Federation protectorates. I know they're not, like, much use for anything as far as Oh, you mean goes, uh, but, Eugene yeah. Chafor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, yeah, the Federation just trying, it's like apparently desperate for friends. And so they're kind of going out of their way to be friendly with anyone that just kind of shows up. Uh, and so it's sort of, you know, maybe suggestive that there's this desperation going on here. But other than that, they don't really make the sell on that. Right. It's like, okay, right. this is, there's all this stuff going off, off you know, on off screen, but it's not important. We're going to focus on this other thing. Well, that's kind of a little disappointment and kind of a screw you to next generation fans. Because that part of the movie works. It's weird. Like, it's put in as a joke because, like, they do something silly to Picard and make him wear a weird hat. But, like, he does it and he's being a diplomat, which he's trained to do. And then they make this offhand thing. like, do you remember when we used to be explorers? Like, you you were diplomats. There were, like, like 20 episodes (laughs) where you went somewhere and did exactly this. Like, I don't understand. Right. That line is very weird. I, I will say, like, I, I do like the very, like, the first act of this movie is very lean and almost feels like it was written by a different person. Yeah, it probably it's, was. It's, <laughs> it probably was, to be perfect. Or maybe it was actually, this part was actually written by Pillar and the rest of it was written by someone else. <laughs> Rick Berman showed up and then, yeah. He's like, all right, you know, I was purple space bazooka, you know, and... <laughs> And, you know, because it's like, it's very like when you like the opening sequence with the duck blind is great, super cool, mm-hmm. very interesting, even though there's parts of it that are like, okay, this is kind of dumb, but you don't really think about it because you're like, oh, this is really interesting. Like what's going on with data? And they cut immediately to the enterprise and they're moving, they're grooving, they're, they're like, they're snap, like, like they're like, they're, they're, they're walking and talking like this is an episode of the West Wing. Like mm-hmm. this is like, they're going and going and going. And then he's like, cuts into the room. He's talking to Dowry. He puts the headpiece back on. He's back out there doing diplomat. Like they, they're constantly progressing forward, and it's very lean, very effective. And then it just kind of goes off the rails a little bit. But I do like that part because we are getting. Mm-hmm. I feel like that sequence, that first act, I should say, and that whole sequence on the Enterprise there as well, is where we're seeing the TNG crew. And then it turns back. That's why I say it feels like it's written by two different people because then he turns back into action Picard, action hero Picard. Yeah. We're very, we're, we go from one universe to another and they are very right. similar in a lot of ways, but there are just so many disconnects. It's like, what? Right. Yeah, it is very weird. And you know, something else I thought about too, like, you know, with Dougherty being hanging out with these bad guys and the, you know, quote unquote bad guys in the Sona, like it would have made even more sense for Dougherty to kind of get a little obsessed with what they were doing as well, maybe get influenced by that. Maybe he was getting some of the cosmetic 
surgeries done, you know, and he was kind of like, yeah, you know, these sauna guys are pretty cool. They're stretching out my face. You know, I'm looking, looking young. They got these, yeah, they got these, uh, sexy little, you know, cat women running around here in their tight little outfits. This is a pretty cool ship. You know, we don't have that on the Federation ships. We got tea and shit. Like, you know, this is pretty cool. I like this, you know, and, you know, maybe he's like a bit corrupted and they have to kind of challenge that, you know, and, and. Well, see, if they bothered to make the son of sympathetic villains at all, you could have had that. Like, it would have made more sense for him to know and be slightly on their side because of that. Like, when they get into the actual arguments, it's like, do you know what the Baku did to these people? Right. Like, from this perspective, the Baku are in the wrong. Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. So exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some actual some actual ethical debates of being like, well, they're just trying to, the Sona are the bad guys because they're trying to take the energy. And they're like, well, the Sona are the Baku, and they're just trying to survive because they got booted off because they wanted to play with their Nintendo Switches. And Angry Dad, who you know was there, <laughs> and was like, you know he was like, we're not, get back on the ship. You know, he, you know he was a part of that decision you know, wouldn't let them play with their switches, you know? And and now it's like this whole thing. It's this whole family drama, you know, a bit of a bit of drama, you know? And it's, yeah, I wish they'd played that up more and we didn't get any of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the resolution could be, all right, you might still have Rawful be, you know, go, you know, uh, off the deep end, but, uh, you know, the resolution be a much more cohesive coming together of the two sides as opposed to like well i guess i'm going to defect now because you called me a coward i guess yeah well, i think is this to start getting into some of the sum up because we could probably go on this all day i think you kind of you kind of mentioned it's something that i that i bring up from time to time as like my core standard i guess for some things in movies and stories of like there's always a bunch of stuff in stories that doesn't make sense because you need more than two hours to explain how literally everything in a world functions yeah the first you know 40 minutes hour of this movie there's a lot of weird stuff that doesn't make sense it doesn't exactly hold up but you don't notice then it starts to hit that weird wall and then all of a sudden all the stuff that doesn't make sense starts to catch you more yes yeah it it almost like there is it, it there's just too much of it at that point where you're right to say like when you go into a movie there's a suspension of disbelief and right around the 40 minute marker is where that belief suspension just snaps and and it just falls apart. And then, right, like every other weird thing that happens, you can't help but not notice it because you're no longer being able to pull yourself back to, you know, that that level of suspension mm-hmm. of disbelief. You're, you're stuck there seeing like none of this makes any sense. And now everything after that that makes no sense continues to compound the problem. And like you said, like it had a good run for a, quite a bit of it before that kind of happened as opposed to like nemesis where it happens like immediately first scene yeah like right out of the gate yeah it's immediately like what am i watching you know and it's so this one at least lets you have like some fun moments there before it all falls falls apart but yeah i mean that's a good point and is the tonal like i think also like i was saying since it's trying to do both things the the main reason it becomes so noticeable is like you were saying like it starts with the scene where they're explaining everything and then there's the neck touching horniness and there's just this right, weird exactly. tonal whiplash going through the whole thing because like yeah the drones come down and Worf starts smacking them with the back of a phaser 
Oh, like, definitely feeling aggressive, because haha, he's going through puberty. We're not taking this very seriously. That's fine. Like, I like watching these guys have fun and not taking things very seriously. It's part of what I'm here for. But but why aren't right. we taking this seriously? This is like a serious, you're, you're like doing forced relocation. There's a philosophical thing. Why aren't we taking this seriously again? Well, here, here here's an idea. Here's Here's an idea. So what if they made that a plot point that the you know the te- the the enterprise crew are so used to doing you know you know being in these sort of uh, situations where they aren't taking it seriously but they really shouldn't. <laughs> that, that yeah, one of the back crew was like, "Why are you guys having so much fun? This is life threatening." <laughs> oh, this is a Tuesday. <laughs> like, this is what, what's yeah, wrong like, with you? Why are, why is he laughing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where are we do this all the time? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting idea. Like, actually, that whole idea that you just mentioned is is kind of part of the plot of Lower Decks, which is kind of what they kind of make fun of in that show. But it was it does remind me a lot of Search for Spock, right? Where Kirk's like, "We're just going to steal the Enterprise," and the rest of the original, like the TOS crew that's there with him, they're like, "All right, yeah, probably just steal okay. it. Probably pretty, pretty easy. You're just going to hotwire to this little graphics card thing here. And we're just going to fly it out of here." You know. Because it because they've done all these crazy things that stealing the ship out of space dock just doesn't compare to <laughs> yes. some of the stuff that they've done, you know. And it and it right like it would have made more sense for that to kind of be like a bit of a a bit of a plot point for them to be like, yeah, I mean, it's some isolinear tag drones. It's not a big deal, you know. At least they're not shooting out, you know, ray guns or something, you know. And it's it's just kind of like played up a little bit for laughs. But right, the tonal shifts is kind of all over the place because they go from. Worf having a funny line to Dowerty getting his face stretched to death mm. and they yep. show it and it's like what am I feeling I don't even know I, know. I don't also, know it's like it's horrifying but almost funny it's like wow right right, right. <laughs> yeah it's cartoonish but also like wow I can't imagine what that feels mm-hmm. like and uh, that's kind of crazy yeah He's got his, he got his ass kicked by Rafo and then he got his face stretched to death. Like, it's very I weird. know. Like, they, I know they couldn't do this because they need to, they, like, they still need to make these movies with the assumption that someone seeing them hasn't necessarily memorized the entire run of the show up to this point. As they knew they were kind of winding down because, like, everybody was getting too old to fill the roles. Like, Vince Spiner was even saying he was getting too old to play Data and it didn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. And, like, Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was something about uh, he wanted to data to be uh, killed off in yeah. this one. And yep. they they yeah, could yeah. have done more like wink wink to the audience stuff because they were already doing the jokes and the thing. Like it would have made more sense to do just a silly like self-referential. We're not taking this seriously because it's one of our last adventures things. Like the drones show up and they start shooting. Let's like, hey, remember that time we were stuck in the cave and the holograms kept trying to sell us drones? This, this is fun. We've done this before. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Right. And kind of play that up a little bit more uh, as an element that's a bit funnier. And or even like you could have a sequence where earlier in the movie, like it's portraying a little bit of the age of the crew. Mm-hmm. And then once they get into the briar patch, then they're suddenly like, oh, we're feeling pretty good. You know, and then they're mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, I remember I remember what it feels like to kick some ass, you know, like, Let's it, go kick it's, some you ass know, now. Yeah. right, right. It kind of plays that up. But yeah, I mean, war, or you could just do a sequence where Worf has acting yeah. or you could just do that, mm-hmm. which was still yeah. like, I mean, oh, my God, that was like that gets to the tonal thing of the movies because like. Worf has acne. It's objectively dumb. Why is that in there? But Data's face. It's like perfect. 
Yes. Yep. <laughs> it is, and that's the thing is, again, that is another, God, this, this movie's like filled with these things where it's like, this is dumb, but it's iconic. The Gorge. Oh. Like, it's funny and it's stupid and people remember it. And which is such a weird, like, this movie is like, most people don't even remember the full plot of this movie. They just remember the bits. But they, right, they remember specific instances, like the singing, the purple space bazooka. They remember the gorge. Like they remember like specific things that occurred. The face stretching. They're like, yeah, I remember that movie. But like, and they're like, yeah, but what were they doing with the collector? And there, people would be like, no, collecting, collecting what? What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> like what are you talking about collecting? I watched through this with someone who I know has seen it at least once before, and we finished. It's like, what, what? I don't remember any of this. Like literally none of this. <laughs> Right, oh, exactly. Right, right. Well, when I sat down to watch it in preparation for this podcast, like I was, like I said to you guys earlier, like I remember, like I was sitting there, like this first act, man, this was pretty damn pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah, like, this is a solid first act, and it's like as soon as they find that damn ship, I'm like, oh, here we go, here we go, where they're like they're they're just gonna be hanging out here, and and Data's moving the dam, and he's tickling the fish, <laughs> and it's you know, it's like yeah, this is it, this is the part where this movie falls apart. But, like, that first part of it, like, was really great. Like, even the HMS Pinafore thing, like, I was looking forward to it because I had mm. seen it lampooned and memed for so many years. I was like, yeah, here it is. Like, this is the scene, you know? And he does the two-button press, and he brings up HMS Pinafore on the display. And, you know, <laughs> it's what he like... <laughs> yeah, he knows. Which, like, that yeah, also yeah, just yeah. Go, The whole aesthetic of TNG, which people have talked about, but, like, how it's so built for comfort. Of course they have karaoke on their long-range shuttle craft. They need something to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> item one. Okay, yeah. there we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's specifically HMS metaphor. Which, like, I will say, like, as a kid, when I was younger and I was watching this in the theater, I guess I was, like, in middle school then. I can't remember how old I freaking was. How old am I anymore? Anyway, when I was younger and watching this in the <laughs> yeah, theater. Yeah, how old is anybody, really? Yeah. I was, like, like, I was the nerdy kid who watched gilbert and sullivan dvds and then they do this yeah. like oh my god all of my things are merging <laughs> <laughs> my worlds are colliding yeah. suddenly yeah <laughs> are they are they watching me is this what, what's happening here <laughs> they stop i also me. love just reading a random thing that patrick stewart said he doesn't like gilbert and sullivan and would have preferred beavis and butthead yes <laughs> i noticed that too you know, that doesn't surprise everything I know about Sir Patrick, that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. He's both a sophisticated gentleman and also was the poop emoji, yeah. you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's he, both he, he, he kinda knows how to make you know, to have some fun. Yes, I would agree with that. I, I think and I, I you know, and I and that's something that happens a lot, you know, especially during that first act where the crew is, you know, like we talked about earlier, like the crew, the cast of the main crew has such a great chemistry that like the f- rapid fire banter of the dialogue between Eugene Chafot and putting out one more brush fire and, and the archaeological dig and the wharf showing up, like the rapid fire discussions is just perfect, you know, and it's funny it's and it's lighthearted. Right. It's, it's just, it just works. And if they had kept that tempo and focused on them and, and, and exposing them to the plot of this movie of the Baku and stuff, 
I can't even imagine what kind of movie would have, we would have. Yeah, had. I think they possibly they keep one of the best. losing the thread in these movies because, like, of course, like even in original series, as much as I have a lot of critiques of original series after having just watched, sat down and watched it one a week, like <laughs> yeah. they, like the crew together, like you don't even know anything that's happening outside of this ship. Like the rest of the world is basically a mystery. Like the entire thing is mm-hmm. watching this crew interact and throwing situations at them. And then they keep bringing in other junk in these movies. It's like, well, the crew's interacting. Oh, my God. It gave me such a nostalgia thing of like, oh, my God. It's like seeing my friends and family again. And then, like, then all of a sudden they're not together anymore. This random woman is here. (laughs) Why? Yeah, you know, suddenly we have to worry about this other stuff. This doesn't seem super important. There's an annoying kid. Couldn't they have just brought Wesley back if they were going to have an annoying kid? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. And it's funny, too. Or Alexander. We, yeah. Oh, <laughs> just oh, oh, Alexander Roshenko. You know, he had to oh, do no. something stupid on DS9 that didn't make any sense. Yep. Let's not talk about it. Let's just <laughs> not talk about it. I, I, I'll say this, too, because it's almost as if they kind of learned from this movie, because you're right to say, like, again, there's a specific point in time when he gets to the captain's yacht that everybody disperses. And that ruins the, like, I'm here to watch them work together. Instead, I'm seeing different teams of yeah. people. Yes. So what's interesting is in Nemesis, they all stay together, like, almost mm-hmm. the entire movie. Like, other than when Picard gets captured or when Picard's in the dune buggy, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it's not well, He was just it. having and fun. It's still just fun. <laughs> he was just having a good old time. That's Ooh, right. Boom. He just, yeah, he likes flutes, tea, wine, and dune buggies. I don't know, yes. like, what's the big deal? Yeah. So it's almost like if they learned from the mistakes of this movie, but to keep everyone together. But then there's all these other problems that they were dealing with in that script. But right, it's like somebody may have, like it's almost as if they learned from that. They were like, yeah, people want to see the crews interacting. And at the very least, you should break them into two groups, you know, just for a short period of time. But bring them back together. Right, right. Or yes, right, correct. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, it would have, again, like, there were so many things where, like, God, we could just continue to rewrite this movie all night, I feel like. We really could. I could keep going with different ideas of to how to unscrew this movie. But I will, I want to say something really quick, though, which is, we've been shitting on this movie for, like, the last, like, two hours. But I will say, like, something that I really absolutely just thoroughly enjoy is the Sona and the way that they were presented visually. I love the ships with all the little buttons and knobs. I love the couch captain's chair. I thought the makeup was really great. You know, with all the other races that were on board the ships, I like the ship designs. I really enjoyed that they created an identity for the Sona within a few simple sequences. And that's kind of hats off to the, you know, the, you know, the production assistants and the, you know, the costume designers and the artists and stuff like that, that just created this, this whole new race, like, Within just a few sequences, we understood what they were and what was going on there, and I, I liked it. I liked that a lot. I really enjoyed the fact that they they presented them in that fashion. And to a certain degree, it kind of felt like, all right, so this is like a, a like a mirror v- uh, version of the Federation. It's like, okay, what if you know, as opposed, to, you know, everyone was forced together and they were working for the humans, except mm. these aren't humans; they're these aliens that are kind of human-like and have this weird thing going on. There we go. And then we, yeah, we also have all these other aesthetics kind of coming in and it's all working together. And it's very much a, 
you know, we're we're now in this sort of mirror universe, except it's not the mirror universe. You know, that's a very interesting idea. Like they have like opposite levels of prime directives, but it's also a conglomerate of aliens that actually have primarily aliens in the fleet who are dispersing people who look like humans. Whereas usually in Star Trek, it's the opposite of that, where it's people who look like humans because it's cheaper that are dispersing folks that look like aliens. That's actually a really good point. That's, yeah, that's interesting. That's another thing that's they could have point. done and explored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, so many opportunities. And oh, oh, yeah, yeah, but for I think sure. That, like, we're, we're kind of shitting on the movie because it's fun to do so. And there are a lot of yeah. potentials that it had. But it's still like, it's not a bad movie. It goes off the oh, rails no. and it's no. kind of dumb in places and it has a lot of disappointingly unfulfilled potential, but it's still a fairly good movie. Yeah, I still enjoy it, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like, the thing is, is with this movie in particular, and uh, really, I would say every single Star Trek movie, and probably show, but every single Star Trek movie, like, like, I love them, you know? Like, I love them. I, even if they're ter- terrible films, like, if I see them on, like, if I turn the television on and they're on, I'm like, oh, what's this? You know, oh, it's Insurrection. I'll leave this on, you know? I like this movie. You know, it's like, I I still love them. You know, it's, it's, we are giving it a lot of a heartache, but at the same time, though, it's still a part of the Star Trek franchise. It's still a part of the larger Star Trek family of, of content. And, you know, and we're just, we're here to shit on it because we're fans and we love it. And (laughs) we're still going to, and like, we say that, you know, we're shitting on this movie, but the three of us just watched it again just to sit down so we could talk about it. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, and we're like, yeah, this actually is still not that bad. You know, it's, you know, yeah, this good is probably like the here. sixth time I've seen this one since it came out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I've probably seen this one God, probably, probably, probably a dozen yeah, or so times. I'd say it's, lo- it's lower on my rewatch list, but yeah, yeah it's still yeah, higher definitely. than some Star Trek movies. I'm going to watch this before I watch like into darkness Oof. or nemesis or, you mm. know what I mean? Like, but even those ones have good redeemable qualities. Yeah, they to have them. some good points. Like I think, I think I would, I like this movie better than any of the Abrams movies overall. That might be a little bit of nostalgia and the tonal shift, but like I still think it's a good movie. It's I, like I think this is a better movie than the reboot Star Trek movie. Yeah, I mean, I, and honestly, it's like they're all pretty. Like they're all like like I'm gonna watch all of them if I see them on the television or whatever. And like this one isn't bad. Like it's it's got a lot of problems to it. It's super easy to shit on, as we just demonstrated over the last two hours. But it's it's still like you know, like I said, like when I was watching it, I wasn't like bored. I wasn't like like still, like oh, still God. engaging, right? It's it's very engaging. I'm enjoying these characters. I love them. I'm enjoying what's happening. Like even though there's none of the shit makes any sense, I'm like yeah, I'm on along for the ride. You know, I wasn't bored while yeah, I was watching. It's still it, fun, you know? and I think it could have done something right. that was like more interesting and impactful than fun which is why it's disappointing, but it's still fun. Yes. You just said oh, what right. I was trying to say for the last 15 <laughs> minutes, so thank you. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go and give it a, a, gen, a tentative thumbs up myself. Uh, it's like, yeah, there are some major story issues, but you can still enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, mean, I think we can move on. We could do another two hours on this, and maybe if people like this enough, we'll do our spinoff podcast with Kazwalski. What were they thinking, the Star Trek movies? yeah yeah. let me rewrite that for you.com yeah (laughs) like we've talked about this for like 
two hours. Like, I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit, which is fine. Happens. Yeah, but that's okay. I think it we happens. need to let everyone have a rest and move on to the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we have our various contestants here in our uh, in our special Star Trek movie ex- extravaganza, and our uh, guest judges are uh, all ready to start handing out some prizes. Uh, so, uh, where should we begin? I think we should begin with the hard drive brain aw- uh, prize, uh, which is the uh, which is going to be awarded to Data specifically for specifically getting his hard drive unmounted and scratched before the film even begins. Whoops! Uh, what does he win, Gepwin? Data wins a trip. To space Costco to pick up a six pack of new brain hard drives because this keeps happening to him and he needs some appropriate backup discs and they're cheap and they just like you get a bundle it's a giant data sized cart for like six bucks because it's Costco it's fine pick up some free samples while you're there <laughs> well I think there might be some uh, trouble uh, in uh, uh, transport but this is a very good start yes. Our second uh, prize award dealio here is the Risky Moral Calculus uh, uh, Award, which goes to Admiral Doherty for thinking for a second, you know, working with these Sona guys might be, you know, a good idea and not, you know, a terrible, terrible life choice that, you know, it's going to, you know, ruin his life and, uh, you know, maybe lives of many others. Uh, what does he win, Getwalski? Admiral Doherty is going to win probably three years, I would say, of community service so that he recognizes bad people and maybe it's just some bad situations so that he can maybe be a better judge of character. Maybe learn a little bit about folks before he just, I don't know, lives on their ship and allows them to stretch his face out to death. He can hang out in New Zealand with Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe uh, Dougherty should have uh, read up a little bit on, uh, you know, uh, 20th uh, century American uh, international politics for all the uh, he could have uh, avoided there. Our uh, next one is the uh, One Perfect Moment of Beauty Prize, which goes to Anish, uh, Anish, the the lady person, for stopping the world to spend more time with Picard. What does she win, Gepwin? I think she wins that one song. I'll stop the world and melt with you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love me some modern English. Oh, I accidentally uh, did these out of order. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, so our uh, next one is the uh, gunshots by computer for the Sona for using their drones for basically doing this flying around and zapping people and like, but not killing anyone because that'd be mean. What do they win, Ketwalski? They win a free box of drones themselves, but they're like modern time drones and they have to use them within five feet and they can only use them exclusively inside of a heavily forested area and they can't fly them very far. And they just keep raking. And they're very sad about it. I hope they remember to bring their smartphones. Otherwise, this is going to be too useful for them. Ho ho! Our next one is the Highlander Prize, which goes to the Baku in general for basically making good use of that local fountain of youth radiation to, uh, to you know, kind of live forever. What do they win, Gepwin? The Baku win. There can only be 600! <laughs> <laughs> And anyone else has to get, uh, you know, you know, you, you know, it has three options. You got the positronic uh, shed uh, uh, option. You have your, uh, you know, spaceship shed or the uh, the swords uh, shed. So uh, they got to make the decision quick now. Ho oh. <laughs> ho. 
Our uh, next one is the Fooled You Prize, which goes to Picard and crew for using the holodeck ship thingamajig to uh, pull a fast one on the soda. What do they win, uh, Kedwalski? Picard and the crew are going to win life-size body doubles of the entire Sona crew, and they're going to just have to carry them with themselves while they're working on the Enterprise for all time, really, just to kind of remind them of the fast one that they pulled. It's kind of just like a little commemorative gift basket. Nice. It's like trophies, but bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just giant trophies, and they can't get rid of them. And if they lose them... They get another one. That's why you see that sauna standee in the background of Nemesis just <laughs> That's, hovering yeah. there. See, exactly. They're there just hovering. Go. They're falling out of the closets everywhere. They're like, that sauna standees, get out of here. <laughs> so Rafa's going to surprise you in the bathroom. He's just hanging out in the sonic shower. Ah! Like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Can't I pee Raffo. for peace? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Who are you, Jordy? Uh, oh. <laughs> so, uh. Our next prize is the uh, So Mad I Could Bleed prize, which goes to uh, uh, Ruafo uh, for doing exactly this when uh, he doesn't get his way when Picard has his people all locked up. Uh, Let's get one now, right? Yeah, I think that Ruafo wins. I think it's just a retro effective award for like every time this has happened in a movie. People just bleed when you get mad. Like Fifth Element, this, just... Goo comes out of your forehead when you're mad, so I guess get some anger management <laughs> before your forehead goo. And get some Kleenex for your face, because it's gross. It's going to get dripping everywhere. It's going to be nasty and gnarly, and it's getting all over the carpet. Come on, guys. Our final prize uh, is the Wonderful Hostage Prize, which goes to the very Starfleet people who were on the planet at the start of the movie for kind of being, you know, uh, exactly this for both the Baku and the Sona later on in the film. What do they win, Ketwalski? Every hostage is going to get a $25 gift card to Red Lobster, Space Red Lobster, Splobster, so they can also enjoy the Federation's snow crab bucket that they were clearly eating on the Baku home planet because apparently they love them so much. Mm-hmm. What a delicious conclusion to today's show. I hope you all enjoyed, and uh, take us away, guys. Yeah, thank you, all of our contestants and guests and Kowalski for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. All right, one super, super final point, because the hostage thing reminded me, and there was nowhere to put this anywhere else. I always think it's really funny how they always forget the kind of scale when they have a planet that's a stand-in for, like, a piece of land. Because you could set up an entire, like, continent-sized health spa on the other side of this place, and they would never know. Yep. Yep. Because it's a planet. Yep, right. 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 And and also do do they need all of the rings or some of the rings? 
Or how does it any how does any of this work? If I have cancer and I go there, oh wait, we already have the cure for cancer. So what are we using the radiation for? Oh, I don't know. Cosmetic you know. surgery. Survive phasers. I don't know. Cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery. Like, yeah, there it seems go. like we're doing all this just for the sona. Why don't they just live on the other side of the planet? Yeah, like you know, if if aliens yeah. landed in Africa right now and set up a base and no one told you, you would not know. Right. Especially if they had cloaking technology, yeah. which they clearly do. Which also, as far it's still illegal. Federation, you never did that. Like you're complaining, oh, you're complaining God. at the zone of having things outlawed by the Kidama Accord. Let's talk about this cloaking device you have. Because <laughs> this was a Federation hollow ship, by the way. He made a point to mention that it's Federation in design. That is such a good point. Oh, you got to keep that in. Yeah, what? What were they even th- like? They just forgot that the franchise even existed. They just wrote whatever yep. they wanted. They were just yep. doing whatever they wanted. Yeah, they don't care. Just throw it all in the blender and see what happens. Yeah, forget it. Forget about it. It makes me sad that I didn't even pick that up. But that is God, that is such you were a just too distracted thing. by yeah. the hollow ship. You're like, what is this? Why is this happening? I'm glad I can't <laughs> wait, see it. He, wait, did he open the dam or did he flood the lake? Why is the dock still <laughs> there? there? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Why do they have a dock that's at the level of the lower lake? Just don't, just don't even, just don't go down that road. Just right, don't do yeah. it. Don't do we, it. To we could spend another two hours do doing this. So. <laughs> yeah so thank you for being our guest kowalski it's been a ton of fun where can people find your stuff so that anybody who watches us can like go track you down yeah no thank you guys for uh having me on it's, it's, god it was a really great conversation we i feel like we've talked for 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 five minutes even though it was several hours you know it was really fun i enjoyed it thank you guys so oh, much for having we're me here. so I, glad I really that you've been it. having a good time Oh, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, if anybody wants to check out my content, you can check me out on YouTube. Uh, The channel name is obviously just going to be Ketwalski. Uh, You can also primarily uh, get in touch with me or follow me on Twitter at RealKetwalski. And I do have a Facebook group as well that I kind of uh, tertiarily kind of poke inside of every once in a while. So, yeah, I'm I'm always available. I also do have an email. So if you want to talk or you have any questions about Star Trek or anything going on out there, just hit me up. I'm always available. And if I can get to you, I will. And links for all of that, if you're watching this on, we're listening to slash watching on YouTube because we don't do visuals on, there will be links for all that in the episode description or on the various podcasty link things if you're on one of our other feeds. Right, as for the two of us, that was our mid-season break. We are moving on from original series, not to Next Generation, to my great disappointment. We still have 20-some-odd episodes left to go because we are going to be covering the first episode of Star Trek The Animated Series. Woo! So, uh, Ketwalski, uh, what are we in for? You are in for a wild adventure beyond any of your possible imaginations could come up with. It is both strange, humorous, cringy, and boring. <laughs> it's all of the above, but it is an absolute must-watch. I, I, it's very much like the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special, where I feel like it's a bit of a rite of passage. You must watch it. It must happen. And uh, I, yeah, I'm... I look forward to hearing your guys' reactions, especially when you see Oof, Big Spock. Big Spock. Well, I actually got these on DVD, so this will be fun. Uh, apparently, the first episode for next time is Beyond the Farthest Star, where they're exploring the outer rim of the galaxy again. They meet a 
derelict something something year old spaceship. I guess we have that to look forward to. Yeah, this will be interesting. One part of the Star Trek canon I have yet to ever see a single episode of because it was so hard to find until recently. But I hope that you will join us next time. Thank you again, Kiswalski, for joining us here. I'm so glad you had a great time. It's been great to have you on. Yeah, thank you guys again. Do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, this was great. We'll have to pick another controversial uh topic to break down as well yeah i really appreciate it thank you guys and everyone else can join us next time here on watchers of tomorrow next time on watchers of tomorrow damn the illusion of movement damn to the illusion of movement to hell have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>